0: The Incomparable, number 321, October 2016.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to take another tour through a Pixar movie. We're finishing up, until they release another one next year, uh, the Toy Story series with 2010's Toy Story 3. It came 11 years after the previous Toy Story movie. Sometimes you might call this like a late sequel, like your Indiana Jones in the... Whatever that was, the skull that's got aliens in it. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, uh, it's, it, but it's not bad like that one. Anyway, to talk about this uh, Pixar sequel, threequel, if you will, I am joined by the following wonderful people David Lore. Hello. Hello there. There's a picture of a monkey on my screen. Who could that be? Oh, it's Merlin Mann. Hi, Merlin. <laughs> Name right what Lotso done. Uh, Tiffany Arment is here Hello Hi, get the tortilla And
2: Steve Lutz (laughs) Uh, Have a good evening, Jason No owners means no heartbreak Mm. And John Syracuse I can't wait to discover my Spanish mode
3: during this podcast (laughs) Mm.
4: (laughs) I'm not saying anything
2: (laughs) There's going to be another Toy Story movie There cannot possibly be more stories (sighs) to be told in the Toy Story universe Is something I said in 2008
1: yeah Uh
3: (laughs) they just keep making new kids but the toys stay the same age
1: all
4: right all right all right
3: yeah there you go You got to get merlin on here to get my references
1: all right so uh toy story 3 uh they they got the band back together to make a to make another movie and i'm wondering before i get into just sort of walking us through the plot so we can talk about what happens in this movie anybody have any initial thoughts opening statements or the like that they'd like to share with us now
0: can we just start crying <laughs> yes, we, we could just start crying now that and, comes and get later. it
1: over with. You cry all the way through if you want. You can pick oh, it up. in the middle. crying.
0: The There's whole movie crying.
1: crying. It, it, it's it's tough. I, I actually I bought this on Blu-ray and then didn't watch it for a long long time because I just I didn't have the emotional fortitude I felt to go put myself through that again uh, because I remember so very clearly some of the stuff
2: that happens at the end of the movie and so I've forgotten
1: some of the delightful stuff that happens. At the beginning
2: of the movie, yeah, I only watched it once in the theater, and then watched it a couple of times for this podcast, and was surprised that uh, I didn't find it quite so heartrending this time. I guess me too. being unprepared for it is kind of what killed me in the the in, in the original viewing.
0: We have a four year old at home, so he likes to watch things over and over and over and over. So I probably have seen this movie, I don't know, seventy. 80 times now (laughs) and it definitely gets easier dealing with it but when i had to sit down by myself and watch it for the podcast and actually pay attention and write some notes down yeah i cried like a baby so it doesn't get any better
5: well it's like the on opening weekend um my youngest was was five and the older one was like nah i don't need to go see it okay so i take i take the youngest one and we go see the matinee and of course i'm not prepared for it i don't know what's going to happen and and each level of the story you know just kept hitting me like a ton of bricks so by the end of the movie i mean you know i will get into all that later but i am just a mess and and through the credits the credits are fun to sort of let you calm down and stop the ugly crying cuz i don't i don't cry at movies and i'm ugly crying through this and and we get home and the older one says, How was it? So, well, it was really good and it made me cry. And he goes, Can can I go see it now? And so I literally <laughs> no, took No, you him, cannot. I, I, <laughs> I got back in the car and took him to see the next show that was available. And of course it was even worse because now I know what's, you coming. Know what's coming. And and I have I still have not had, you know, days and weeks to to process all this. And so now I'm just a complete wreck by the end of the movie. And I look over, and I didn't realize this, my partner in theater was across the theater from us. And I look over at the end of the movie, and he looks over and sees me, and we're like, hey, you're a mess too! Awesome! And our kids are just like, hey, that was great. Sad dad, high five. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, I Actually,
1: there's one big crying moment that's the reason that I didn't want to go back and revisit this for a while. That, I, that I, I'm actually with Steve, I didn't find as quite as uh, tear-inducing. But then, you know, a- after that, there's more. And uh, that got me. So, you know, it's Pixar. Yeah. They, t- they taught us with that Jesse song that uh, you're going to cry in Pixar movies and, and <laughs> it just is going to happen. You can't. Well,
2: it's, it's, there's a different character to the, the, the crying stuff in this movie in that it's yes. kind of like a happy thing as opposed to a heartbreaking thing. It's true. So the, the Jesse scene in Toy Story 2 still just kills me. I can watch oh, that over God, and over yeah. again and every time I ball. And this... I've I've kind of made my peace with it. I think at this
4: point. Yeah, I had two funny reactions. Um, This is this along with Day of the Doctor are my two guaranteed ugly cry watchings. Two things were like it's it's amazing to me how many times I can watch Day of the Doctor and there's still like three times I ball during that. Um, And ditto here. This is and this this time the only time I really the end. uh, Well, you know my cowboy. That's, that to me, I, that is going to get me every single time. What surprised me this time, and I can't decide how much of a bad person this makes me, um, I am reminded how much I love, I guess, the second act of this. The set pieces oh, yeah. in the middle of this, and I, I know, I know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about them, but yep. tooth, I mean, this time I really, I really, because I felt a little more, uh, I had lots of other things I was crying about in America today, so this wasn't so bad, <laughs> but the, um, but the set pieces involving, uh, especially getting briefed by the telephone. Um, oh, so good, so oh, so great. Yeah. But the other one, yeah. the one that was unexpectedly funny. Try go go back and watch it without the sound. Go watch the the sequence where uh, they're talking about uh, Daisy leaving them behind, and it's it's very very funny. I mean, it's it's sad, but it's very. There's something extremely funny about it too, hmm. the, them sitting on the fender of the truck driving away. And I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'm just having a weird week, but that that was unexpectedly <laughs> funny to me. If you go back and watch it without the sound, it's hilarious.
1: So let's uh, let's get started with our, our initial se- sequence. Just as we had a uh, sort of a sci-fi battle at the beginning of Toy Story Two, that was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" And it was inside a video game. Here, what we get is something that's a little bit different. It is basically Andy's imagination of him using uh, all of his characters to have this, uh, this train heist to give Woody his own genre for once. But what we're really seeing is not a video game or a movie or something, but uh, we're seeing Andy's imagination. And it's a fun little uh, Western scene that happens, which integrates increasingly weird things until it does get sci-fi because you've got aliens and buzz, and so you have to have it eventually. And this is our last moment with... The old Toy Story with young Andy, and as soon as it's over, we are we are in grown up Andy, and that's when the movie begins, and he's going off to college. But we got that we get that that last little moment of uh, of inspiration from uh, from what we expect from sort of the original two Toy Story movies to start. Yes,
2: and again we bear witness to the horrible destructive power of barrel monkeys. We saw oh. them tear <laughs> somebody limb from limb in the previous <laughs> previous uh, episode. I wonder what happened in, in his early years to Andy with a monkey that caused him to consider monkeys these
4: terrible They're weapons are just so of many monkeys.
5: Or John Lasseter. Oh, that could be.
4: I might be reading too much into this, but wasn't it, didn't it track somewhat closely to the play that Andy is doing at the beginning of Toy, the first Toy Story? Isn't that yes, kind of the it does. story? Ah.
0: Yes, I wanted to point that out. Totally it does. Mm-hmm. Yep. Evil Doctor Porkchop. Money money
1: money money money. Oh, yeah. money. oh Evil Doctor Porkchop, right? But this this is the production values are much much greater now because we've got the uh the bridge blowing up and you know there's lots of lots of action movie stuff that gets that we get to see, right? Because we're seeing through his imagination. Is it just me
0: or is Ham wearing the odd job hat? No, it's totally the odd oh, yeah. job
1: yeah. hat. He's wearing a pork pie hat,
3: get it? Oh. oh. Mm. Dad That's joke. In this movie. Oh. <laughs> it's not a dad joke it's in the movie. I didn't make the movie. <laughs>
1: Way to kill the episode,
3: John. Yeah, good job. Good
1: job. <laughs> yeah, you did it. It's a, it's a delightful way to, to um, I think, get us into it and in remembering uh, what we know about these Toy Story movies before we get that moment where suddenly Andy is getting ready to go to college and he's cleaning up his room. We get the whole, um, there's a, they, they, they make the transition, uh, they play You Got a Friend in Me, and then when oh. we get to the line, and as the years go by, that's oh. when the transition happens.
2: Our oh, yeah. friendship will never die is the last thing we hear. And the song cuts off, and that, that line echoes, uh-huh. and the scream goes black. And uh, that's what you're in for, folks.
0: <laughs> and we have like a big, there's a big montage of him growing up. Though, I love right? that sure. The
2: Andy Through the Years montage.
0: Yeah, yeah it, which is pretty great. I mean, I love that he's, first of all, the nicest kid ever because he lets his sister come in and he's like, oh, don't worry. She just totally destroyed all my stuff. I'll integrate <laughs> her into the story. Yeah. Like, yeah. what kid does that? It was amazing because Andy's the best kid ever. And uh, I thought it was super cute. He's measuring all his toys on the door. And actually, my brother did that. So that's not too far fetched. He totally measured his toys. Oh. And uh, yeah, they show like all these little cute sequences. They're eating popcorn together. You know, all the love oh. is there. I
2: love oh. that I- Popcorn bit, where the piece of popcorn gets put in Rex's mouth while they're watching what is presumably a monster movie. Oh yeah! And at the, Right at the scary part, the popcorn falls, falls out.
4: out. Right, right. And of course, that's just
2: <laughs> physics to people who don't understand that the toys are alive, but we understand that Rex just coughed up a chunk of popcorn in yeah. his terror. <laughs> I also like that in the years, as the years go by, uh, Andy's Andy's model has finally become less terrifying and off-putting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And he they now could. just looks like an affable kid. Yeah, they show all the humans not from
3: like the Muppet Babies angle anymore, because they're like, you know what? We can do faces, and they won't scare you. Here they are. They couldn't do
4: that much for the mom.
2: Well, Merlin, you couldn't do much for the mom because the mom is is the embodiment of evil, and so well, yeah. she has to look bad. But. As
4: we discussed, Steve, Aww. I think I think she's definitely a monster. And uh, in this one, I think she gets kind of a pass, and I think that you know, shame, shame, shame on Pixar, shame on Lee Unkrich. No,
1: she, she actually the how does she creates, get a pass? She creates the the terrible. She takes the bag of toys that's destined for the attic, yeah, and a she's lot of happy, got a lot of garbage happy bags. Happy playing, mm. and she is uh, mm.
4: throwing them in the garbage. If you needed to get rid of a body, you would want some garbage bags. I'm just saying.
2: Let's talk about that whole premise for a second. Where's dad?
4: Where's dad, Steve? Do you have a sense of where dad is?
2: Andy's... I, I know where dad is. He's under the mm-hmm. old house in the crawl space. <laughs> he's down
4: in um, the, the John Wayne Gacy cellar. Uh, Andy's on
2: his way to college, right? He's getting ready to go to college. His mom is making him put his whole room on mothballs, right? He's yeah. either got to throw everything in his room out, or he's got to stick it in the attic. She cannot wait to get rid of that kid, just like she got rid of dad. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> doesn't matter to her if he needs to come back and do his laundry, or if college doesn't go so good, wow. or if he has nowhere to stay on his breaks. Because... See, I just thought she wanted a crafting room.
0: Man, oh, he daughter, the you daughter. daughter's
3: getting the room, right? His sister's getting the room. because well, she wants bigger, all his stuff. Room. She's it's still the got a room. room.
2: But She's then, then
1: mom will have the sister's room as a crafting room. Right.
2: But you don't Slush make the crafting room
1: like as soon
2: as the kid moves out. You wait until he's gone through college <laughs> and got himself settled. She's, Maybe that's
1: what your parents did. She's she's pushing
3: here. So,
2: what did anybody here have an evil mannequin mom like the like Andy's mom that forced <laughs> that just decimated their room and tore it asunder as you were leaving to go to go to college, which was already a touchy time. No now, doubt. No, in my experience, it,
1: it, it's a few years later when your parents call you and say, "You know, there are a lot of boxes here." And we don't want them here anymore. What are you going to do about it? But it takes a while. They don't do it right when you're leaving for school because they want to induce you to come back and visit at that point. They can't, they don't, they're not ready to let you go. Oh, God. You're right, Steve. She is a monster. No, (laughs) I
2: don't want to be on your side. Oh, she's terrible. I, and, yeah, and and, uh, and then there's the scene a little bit later where she uh, comes upon the toys waiting right at the base of the attic stairs. Naturally, you, you've given the kid the option between the stairs and the trash. The bag is at the bottom of the trap door leading up to the stairs. You know, but her assumption trash. is right to the trash.
3: Yeah, well, That's the weakness of this uh, the setup of this movie. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, you know, I realize this entire movie is one of those misunderstanding-based plots, and misunderstanding-based plots are not, the greatest thing where, like, to kick things off, you need a simple misunderstanding that would be cleared up. Luckily, that's not really the heart of the movie, and you don't spend the whole time going, why don't these people just talk and resolve this misunderstanding? But... It is kind of, it's a bit, uh, a bit down you know, they spend yeah. so much time on story and figuring out how they have so such strong bones here in terms of the kid is older, what are they going to do about the toys, like it's a natural progression from the first two movies, and it still has to be a misunderstanding-based thing where, once again, people think, you know, oh, Andy doesn't love us anymore, but actually he does, oh, he's sending us away, but no, you're going in the attic, oh, we don't believe Woody, but Woody's telling the truth, like we've seen all those things in the movies before, uh, luckily it moves on from that pretty quickly and gets into the whole... A uh, prison escape thing,
2: and then the end of the movie. But it's a small thing in the grand scheme of things. But you yeah. feel like, as strong as their story team is, they could have come up with something a little better.
3: Right. You just need as, as something, anything to get things going. But like, I'm at this point, I'm kind of, uh, I don't like seeing people not believe Woody anymore because every movie, <laughs> yes, <shows> yes. <laughs> I had a huge <laughs> problem with he that too. Hasn't proven himself.
0: Like, listen to Woody. My goodness, he's not going to. Right. Love
3: no, they, he was going to put you in the attic. Don't believe Woody. He never tells the truth. No. although he totally in
1: the very does. first scene, he does say where nobody's getting thrown away and they, you know, I'm not sure he really should be that confident about it. And I think he even sort of says, "Mm, what am I supposed to say about it? Like, he's trying to give him a pep talk. So, you know, I'm not sure you can 100% trust Woody,
2: but he's got their best interests at heart. Yeah, but Buzz knows the score. I mean, he he tells Buzz he doesn't know. Right, right. They're co-parenting. I mean, they've all been there. He knows there's no guarantee. And yet Buzz, right along with the rest of them, decides, nah, let's hop in the box on the way to the daycare. We don't, we don't buy this
5: whole thing. He's going to put him in the attic. That was the first moment in the movie that sort of hit one of those little tumblers in, in the safe in my head. Um, because when I was little, I did have a small bag of toys that my grandfather accidentally threw out with the trash because he mm. thought it was trash. So uh. it was sort of like, this rings completely true to me.
1: Yeah, I, I lost some toys that my parents tossed. That that you know, I don't know why it happened, but they were not in a yeah, place to be tossed, just, and they just were cleaning up something, and I was messy, exactly. and, and they got. I, I would say I think the story team made a decision, which is they didn't want to paint Andy as a kid because we know these toys and we love them. They can't have Andy do what he probably would have done, which is say maybe not throw them out, but say let's just give these away, send these to the. Send these to the preschool or wherever because I don't want these. I'm only going to keep my two toys that I, that I love, Buzz and Woody. And they didn't want him to do that. They didn't want him to, to be the, the kid who would, who would uh, get rid of those toys. So they had to make this misunderstanding instead. Um, oh, I was I was going to say, when they're talking about getting thrown away, I like that there's a moment in there that is a nod to the sensitivity about what happened to Jesse that I read in there, which mm. is like, we all know that Jesse's already gone through this. And they had like a little moment of like, we know yeah, yeah, Jesse. Right. <laughs> well,
0: <and laughs> they did. They like checked in with her. Are you like, you okay? You going to yeah. be okay in the attic? Is little, this going to be okay? A
5: little sensitivity for Jesse. That choice that Andy makes. I mean, he does eventually make it, but he has to get to it. And if he if that were the choice at the beginning of the movie... Where is the ending where is that right. that shift for him so I, I get it I have to think that this that this story is in
1: part a product of the people who made Toy Story talking about the ramifications of the world they built over a decade because right. mm-hmm. a lot of this really is like okay we said that the point of being a toy is to be played with it's like what happens when andy grows up to those toys are they do they just go to the incinerator happy in the knowledge that they lived a good life playing with a kid and now they're done do they get handed off to another kid and what happens if they get put in the attic because we already explained with the old prospector that not being played with is this terrible thing and so you know trying to work through all of that and when they discuss the attic they sort of say well it'll be warm up there and and there are those christmas ornaments up there you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah, have Christmas right?
2: ornaments alive too. Yeah. By the way, they're, they're those guys watch from the Christmas
1: decorations there. box. I think that's the implication is that they are, oh and my. they're not particularly liked by the toys. They're or do they, they have toys class? from their tree? They're yeah.
0: troglodytes up in the attic. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and there's a dull TV up there, so they can watch some TV. And I, I think that's really interesting because they're trying to say like, well, it's not like they're going to be sentenced to doom. They're going to just be waiting. And they say like, but and maybe Andy will keep us, and then he will come back home and play with us, or maybe his kids will play with us and that's their kind of like long-term hope i'm not sure that's realistic but i did really get the sense like this seems to be a story written by people who've really had time to kind of throw around ideas about what it means that they wrote those other movies and where does the story lead from there and i in this whole part i i was i was thinking about that let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors this episode is brought to you by falling water There is a battle going on to control dreams. It's happening while you sleep. What if our dreams had the power to affect our waking lives? What if a person could walk out of their dream and into yours? Have you ever had the same dreams as someone else? Maybe they were dreaming it too. Falling Water is a thrilling adventure. It takes viewers into a battle for your dreams. It's from the producers of The Walking Dead and Homeland. It is an original drama on USA Network, premiering Thursday, October the 13th at 10 o'clock, 9 central, only on USA. It stars David Ayala from The Dark Knight and Fast and Furious 6, William Lee from Hawaii Five-0, True Blood and Spy, and Lizzie Brochere from The Strain, American Horror Story Asylum. So, USA Network, October 13th, 10 o'clock, Falling Water. Check it out. The other thing I wanted to ask all of you is, what do you think Andy's Room's toys' relationship with the toys in the sister's room are? Because presumably the sister's toys are alive, and Barbie crosses over, right? But... Presumably there's a whole other Toy Story world happening over there, and are they like... The U.S. and Canada, or something, where they have some limited interaction, or what? There's,
0: because there's a wall. They probably played all together because when they had that staff meeting, it was it was pretty light, you know, like there wasn't many people left for the <laughs> staff meeting. Yeah, yeah so uh, we just never. See they see don't them. have
2: much problem going from room to room as long as the house right? is empty. So I suspect when things are empty, they just cruise over and mingle. And-
1: I was a little surprised that we didn't get a moment where like the sisters' toys were there, and I, I I guess because it's you'd have to build all the models, it would be kind of unrealistic to put that investment in. And have them just sort of like wave and say, okay, we gotta go back over to our side. But I did feel it's like that the rival lack.
0: team across the lake.
1: Yeah, because I kinda want I kinda wanted some of that. And uh and I think Barbie is what we got,
4: which is fine. I'm I'm usually the guy that likes to pick apart whether the cat's talking or not, but I I give them I give them a, <laughs> a big pass in this one because I, I think the um I mean I we have to get to this later, but let's just say we talked about it in Toy Story 2. Uh, you know, the thing with Jesse is I think, hmm, it's probably happened earlier, but I feel like the flashback with Jesse in Toy Story 2 feels like one of the first really overt uh, assertions that these toys are proxies for the parents. And mm. I think that really, well, this <laughs> is either really obvious or really stupid, but <clears throat> I think clearly that's what we're looking at in this. So I, I give him a pass on all of the, how did the fantasy world work? More in the sense of like, well, what do we do now that, we fulfilled our whatever our prime directive as being Andy's toys. Well, what happens now? And so you're right. seeing those last scraps. This is our last ditch effort to make this happen. We're going to try this stunt with the with the phone. And you know, as played out especially well, I think by somebody like Rex, is like you know we're we're just we're just not getting. We haven't been played with in years, and it really looks like we're just not going to get played with again. And that's not such a far leap to how you feel when your your kids are increasingly growing up, and you're saying, well, they're going off to college, and like, and then you're you're having all these scraps. Like, oh, maybe they'll come home every Thanksgiving. Right. So that. I, I feel like uh, that's that still is very affecting to me.
2: To touch on on the point of this being uh, kind of a kind of arising from discussions among the story team about how things you know might continue on, what the logical conclusion of the toys is. Um, a lot of the trepidation I had when I heard they were making a Toy Story three was I felt like. Toy Story 2 kind of left off in a good place. Like uh, Buzz and Woody were resigned to the fact that it wouldn't last forever, but it was going to be cool while it lasted. We didn't necessarily need to know, you know, the the sad truth of how they were going to end up, which is probably in a dumpster somewhere unloved and uh, meshing with rotten banana peels. Um, so my concern was, you know, I, I kind of like where that is, and it, it worries me that they're, they feel like they have to continue with that. And, uh, and I can't, couldn't imagine a way that they could come up with a story that, uh, that would be satisfying in that respect. And much to my surprise, they did. I mean, this is a very well done way to sort of finish off the saga. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the – for me, one of the biggest strengths of this movie is that they managed to pull it off at all
4: it's kind of an adventure sandwich because the, the first and third acts are, are very emotional and have a lot of, you know, emotional story stuff, but it's, it's, it's the great escape or, you know, it's any of several classic movies in the middle. And right. I more and more appreciate how good in the same way that I think The Incredibles is unimpeachably one of the great action movies. I think this was, I think this had some pretty terrific, uh, action and great pacing throughout the middle where you almost forget about the whole not forget about but now we're worried about the plight of these toys with the with the kids who uh you know stick stick potato parts in their nose and stuff like that
0: <laughs> it's almost like a great heist movie they just they almost yeah. synchronize watches and that's what makes it awesome mm-hmm.
1: yeah they do a little heist with uh you know wine the frog and all of that but here you get it's a half
2: heist half prison prison escape movie but that's you know, that's what it is. It's pretty great. I almost feel like as as well done of an homage to prison break movies as that is, that almost for me is like the weakest part of the movie because it's so much of an homage. Mm-hmm. And I've seen mm. these same story people come up with so many original ideas that to see them basically just take the familiar characters and drop them into somebody else's scenario is a little disappointing. But it's so well done. I mean, I can't complain too much about it. It's like
0: Shawshank with toys. Right.
2: Like, I think
3: <laughs> because it is such a transformation, because it's not just like, hey, I'm going to make a heist movie and it's going to be an homage to all my favorite heist movies. Like that, but it's still going to, you know, be realistic human world type things. This is so far off, so transformative, uh, you know, in the sort of like fair use sense or whatever that. It adds this level of absurdity that I give them a pass for every single homage, every single shot, every single, you know, Fellini thing that they throw in there on top of all the heist movie stuff, like, because it is just, it's just so absurd because it's a bunch of toys and they're in a daycare and it's not a prison and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm with Merle on this. I think that middle section, it would read as kind of like, yeah, we get it. You've seen a lot of, uh, uh, you know, heist and prison escape movies, all right That's fine. But having toys act it all out and having just everything about it be twisted around like you know 720 degrees uh it, it totally works for me and uh, you know i just like every every single scene so you're not just appreciating what a clever homage it is you're also appreciating how ridiculous it is that you know it's it's they're in a daycare and they are all toys and the kids are monsters and boy like since i've you know seen this movie not as many times as stiff but a lot now I just spend time looking at the backgrounds in the daycare and like having had two kids go through daycare and you look at it and you're like, wow, like they spent some time in daycare. It's like this was their research trip for this instead of, you know, going under the ocean or shooting bows and arrows. They just spent a lot of time in daycares. It's, It's amazing. And to have that be the backdrop for this middle section, I agree that it kind of feels like three pieces, like the beginning and then this prison break in the middle, but just. All, I, I love all three pieces so i can't I can't get mad at this movie ever like it just amazes me how well constructed it is the more i
5: watch it the more i'm like god damn they made they made three good movies i mean i I was sitting there the first time the the day I saw it twice and and thinking okay why is this in three pieces and and there i mean there is a very clear break between the sections there are very three three very clear acts and then the second time that night it it hit me and and i've watched it I don't know, dozens of times since then, um, and it still works for me. It's also—it's not just a heist movie; it's the Divine Comedy. Oh yeah, oh right, I've heard this yeah. theory. Yeah, and the purgatory, and like, uh, they start in purgatory in you know limbo. They're not being played with purgatory box, purgatory box, oh. and that early early part in the uh, the daycare center is you know it's a little bit it's it's the beginnings of the rings of hell, and then of course we have a literal inferno, mm-hmm. and eventually they wind up in paradise which is a new a new place to play a new place I mean I don't want to get ahead but. the
1: and we we'll, and we'll get there momentarily the uh the uh, talk about the absurdity of it uh, what I would just say is the the brutal king of the prison yard is a strawberry scented teddy bear <laughs> and the person that you that have to get past in order to uh do your plan is a uh, monkey with the little symbols that's right. those are the that's the <laughs> just that's like the, in Virgil that's the absurdity of <laughs> yeah. it that is beautiful yeah exactly so before we get there I wanted to mention so the garbage truck there is a guy with the. With the like, Sid's shirt
4: loading the truck is Sid it's the totally driver Sid. of the truck? That's totally Sid. All right. is that
0: Sid? Really? It, he's not the driver. He's he's collecting. It's he's Sid. the guy on the back.
4: Oh. Oh. He's got Sid's uh, like uh, Punisher shirt on.
0: No, it's totally Sid. He's the exact right age. He's the same age as Andy. And he's like the he's like the intern, you know.
2: But they moved a long ways away from where Sid was. Did Sid follow Andy for some reason?
0: It's hard to find good work in the Tri-County area. No, he just happens to be the guard. They're just in the same town. right? Does Sid
1: have new versions of his old shirt that he had 11 years ago?
0: Well, yeah.
2: Did, Did Andy just move across town?
0: That's no happy child.
2: Because that kind of ruins the whole idea that the toys would never be able to find Andy again after they moved.
0: Well, they were panicking, so we'll give them that uh, okay. pass. It's, it's one line of dialogue. It'll be fine.
2: At the very least, it's certainly a
1: nod to Sid that he's wearing Sid's shirt, and it would be a job that Sid could do being the garbage man.
2: It could uh, be Sid. It could be. It's totally I, I, Sid. I see better things for Sid, frankly, but uh, not that there's anything wrong with uh, being a garbage he's
0: man. He's happy. But... He's drumming yeah, on that's the garbage like cans. They, it,
2: if it's
3: supposed to be Sid, they have the decency to make him... Uh, you know, enthusiastic, happy, yeah. happy in his yeah, work. Right. He's not just like miserable, like oh, I was mean and now my life is terrible. He seems to be having a good time. I'm sure the he Pizza did. Planet. He
0: found his, He found a good spot for himself. You know what I mean. He found his niche.
2: Well, he's crushing things.
1: I, I'm sure the Pizza Planet delivery truck driver is the garbage truck driver too. They're just working
4: together now. They're 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 the best garbage. That's truck the Pizza team. Planet truck that they're riding on. They're riding on the yeah. They are the flashback. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, can we just talk about how um, Andy knows Jesse and Bullseye's name? Oh. Internet? Oh. That's the thing with the internet, yeah. Yeah.
2: internet.
0: <laughs> He looked him up on eBay. It's
2: like, whoa, wait a minute. These guys are really part of the whole Woody gang. He, I'm sure he looked it up at some point and figured that
0: out. Uh, yeah, one line of
1: dialogue. See, Steve, <laughs> what, see, the, what it is is among the dead father's personal effects since he had uh-huh. Woody is a whole oh. book about the history of Woody's roundup. And so right. so he knows it from that.
0: His hat is totally Jesse's hat, not Woody's hat. Andy's hat, I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Andy's cowboy hat is Jesse's hat, not Woody's hat. That's yeah, yeah. true. Yep. Yeah. It's all the things. Oh, it's, the plot thickens. What's going on? Follow what is happening money, in this house? Kudos what is to happening? mom for
2: not put it throwing gender conventions on the kid then. Oh, that's, right. that's one good thing she's done.
1: This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Casper, a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep service was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a, a box so small you will wonder, how did they get a whole mattress in there? And then you open it up and whoosh, out comes the mattress. In addition to that mattress, Casper also has an adaptive pillow. And soft breathable sheets. I have them all and I really like them all. Okay, in terms of quality, Casper's in-house team of engineers have spent thousands of hours developing it. It's got spring latex and supportive memory foams. And together, they all work to make a sleep service that's got just the right sink, just the right bounce, and a breathable design that sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the The night mattresses often cost well over $1,500 but Casper mattresses cost 500 for a twin all the way up to 950 for a king. And here's the best part. You know, when you buy a mattress, you never really know how you're going to sleep on it and laying on a mattress in a showroom for five or 10 minutes is not going to do the trick. Casper is an internet mattress. So it's even scarier. You can't even look at it before you get it except for this. It's completely risk-free. Free delivery, free returns, and a 100-night home trial. Sleep on it for a month or two or three. And if you don't truly love it, they will pick it up, take it away, and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you will spend a third of your life sleeping on on it. So, Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015, free shipping and returns to the US and Canada, 100-night risk-free trial, great sleep surface and $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com/snell and using offer code snell. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com/snell and use offer code snell. Let's go to the daycare where we meet a very nice bear voiced by Ned Beatty named Lotso. Lotso Hugging Bear. He smells like strawberries and he's very nice with some southern charm.
5: The door has a rainbow on it. She just threw me away. (laughs) You got to be wary of Ned Beatty. Yeah. I'm just just saying. A
1: a note that I wrote down about uh, this scene where we meet all the different toys is when Ken meets Barbie. So we see there's a Ken played by Michael Keaton. Uh, He meets Barbie and we get... Dreamweaver, which I'm not sure, but may actually just be a Wayne's World reference. Not even going all the way back, and it ends with a record scratch, a sound that no one watching the movie, even in 2010, who is under the age of 30, would have ever heard.
3: They used a different song in the trailer, didn't they? I was trying to remember what it was, but I remember I liked the song in the trailer better than the one they used in the movie, and I wondered why they changed it. Does anyone remember what song they used in the trailer for that for that shot? Like when Ken, when Barbie spots Ken and they look into each other's eyes, they use a different song in the commercial for it. And I thought it was way better than, than Dreamweaver. we'll find out when someone emails us and tells us.
1: The problem is that every time they use a song, they scratch that record and they can't use it again. Yeah,
4: oh, that's
3: a shame. <laughs> so they had them had watching VHS tapes of like, oh, remember when Andy was little? It's like, why is the aspect ratio change? What are all those lines on the video? Yeah. <laughs> the kids won't know, but they'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, so I like how they call it Ken's Dreamhouse specifically. Yeah. It's always the best.
1: Ken's Dreamhouse. That's right.
3: So
0: <laughs> no. we
1: we meet we meet these other toys and this like, hey, this is a great retirement for these for these toys that were going to get thrown out. They think they were going to get thrown out. Is they get they get to uh be played with at a preschool that we know that playing is the thing that they're made to do. And it struck me at this point, because Woody is like, no, 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 we've got to get back to Andy. And they, again, poo-poo him, and how much credibility does Woody need to have with these people (laughs) all this time? (laughs) But the thing that got me about it, that struck me watching it is... It's about duty to Woody. Woody is about uh, doing his duty, and and what Woody considers the duty of all of these toys is to be in the attic if that's where Andy wants them to be. Doesn't matter that they'd rather be played with than be put in the attic. It's like we're his toys. It's our job to go where he wants us to go, including in the attic. It just it just struck me that like that's in Woody's mind. He's he's about self-sacrifice, basically, and saying this is what we need to do because he's our kid where they're like, we're out of there We're we you know, we got a lifeline here to do something different. We're going to we're going to dump him since we thought he was going to dump us, and and well, and they don't believe Woody, Woody
3: continues to be a little bit selfish, though,
1: because remember, Woody was going to college. Yeah.
3: Woody's right? not going to the attic. So it's so oh, yeah. a nice character moment where we really, where you you know, you, it makes you like Andy more because you realize he's still going to bring the one toy that he really loves though. most. He's going to bring it to college. And I, I know a lot of people who did that, who brought, like, their one special stuffed animal or uh-huh. whatever. Just something from childhood that you still bring with you to college, and that was going to be Woody. And that's kind of a thread running through his entire personality that he's always all about the greater good and what the group should do but also with the assumption that he of course is the top of the pyramid and may get special treatment so he was going to college it's much easier for him to explain to everyone. you guys just hang out in the attic i'll go to college. (laughs) like that's totally built into his personality despite the first two movies it's still in there like it's not like and now he's cured and will be a better person like like real people This is just part of his personality, and and he has to struggle to manage it. Uh, And in this movie, it's the same. So I feel like when he's talking to them about, you know, his sense of duty or whatever, his sense of duty is a lot for them less than for himself um, because he was going to be separate. But he's willing to go along with them as well. That's him managing it, saying, "Okay, well, if I'm going to make the speech to them, I have to be willing to do this uh, as well and not go with Andy, which eventually he, you know. Resigns himself to yep. be in with them, but when he says that, I think if I was one of the toys again, you get so twisted around in this world because you have to really accept the premise.
2: But I'm thinking, like, <laughs> is that really the best thing, Woody? Is it the best to I go know, right? the attic? Because you mentioned no, it's, before, like Jesse, a kind of lunatic, frankly, especially considering that uh, Andy already believes they already know that Andy believes that they were thrown out. And at this point, they think that they've
1: reached paradise. They're about to find out that it's actually right. they've been put in the most horrible place that they could possibly be. <laughs> but they don't know that yet. For now,
3: yeah, and it could and it could be made better. Like it, you know, it doesn't have to be that bad. But uh, like so, a uh, Jesse is the perfect example, though, because we keep forgetting Jesse had an owner, and the owner grew up, and now she's having a second life with a new owner so it's not as if these toys don't think well okay you hang out with your kid you let him play with you and then you just go into the attic and just wait it out or whatever like it's possible to have a second round and they mentioned that with like oh maybe he'll give us to his but like i don't understand why the toy premise isn't okay your kid grows up and then your next job is to find another kid because it happened with jesse mm. and you know it happened with them as well it should be common knowledge among the toys look when your kid grows up grows up it's time for you to try to find another kid Well, the army men have it figured out. In fact,
0: who knows how long those
2: army men have been around. Uh, There's only
0: one bucket of army men between everybody. As
2: soon as the garbage bag comes out, we're the first to go. (laughs)
4: I, I also like
0: that the,
2: the
4: i mean the the maybe somewhat admittedly corny theme of uh friendship teamwork togetherness, which becomes sort of the overriding theme by the end, certainly by the closing credits mm. i mean in this case they're sort of rewarded for how much they ended up working together, like they would not have been able to achieve that break if they hadn't been <laughs> exactly. a team a team and i I don't think that they lean on that too hard i don't think it's there's not like a song about friendship or something we'll not tell the end but uh i I like that about that, and that there is like there you know this is not going to be it's on another level now it's about aging which is that there's more to this than like the easy relationships that we get that we just take for granted for the first 20 usually you know 10 15 20 years of our life there's also the kind of relationships that you work on and that those those can be very enduring and satisfying too and
3: i i thought that worked it
4: makes a smart choice not to dwell
3: on all the things that we mentioned the misunderstanding the not believing woody like they get past them in short order because like so many movies just and even some of the earlier toy stories that's such a major point it's like we don't We don't want to see that going on and on. If you disbelieve Woody for a little bit, like, we'll get past it quickly. We have to get on with the rest of the movie because there are so many, so many moving parts here and so many themes and so many things that have to happen that they wisely don't spend a lot of time, like, arguing about whether it's better to go with Andy to college or in the attic or if they should find another owner or if we believe Woody. Like, everything gets, like, two or three lines and then the action continues. So, like, the movie just moves. So,
1: the kids are let in to this preschool (laughs) classroom and it is revealed that these kids are rambunctious and treat the to- toys terribly in a a montage that is like uh i think i'm not sure this one's got the horror m- movie music in it later there's another montage of the kids playing that is just it is literally scored like a horror movie and yeah, this is more just like frenzy yeah
2: exactly it's amazing yeah. though the, the toddlers are so wonderfully grotesque. I mm-hmm. mean, the yeah. the the, uh, the shot particularly of uh, from inside of Buzz's space <laughs> helmet oh, as the, the mouth I mean, yeah. and the tongue kind of press against <laughs> it and you see like the air before the tongue even hits it, you kind of see it start to fog up with the breathing. It's great.
0: And all the toys hide when the kids come in, like all the other toys that know. Yeah, the ones that are wise. Buzz is the
4: only one that catches it, yeah. yeah he closes his helmet. I also give full points to the uh, lighting in that one. Uh, for some reason, there's this one shot Not of where the little kid grabs Jesse, dips her in the green paint, paint oh. and Peyton starts rubbing it on the canvas. The lighting in that is exquisite. It really looks like that room. One of the downsides to really downsides, one of the weird things about a very well animated, very well rendered film is you kind of stop noticing how good it is. You stop noticing the little nicks on the toy box. You stop noticing the, the, inc- the tiny little wrinkles in Andy's shirt, the seat, the seatbeltiest seatbelt in the world. You stop noticing all these things because the story's good and you're just, you're enjoying the visuals, but just go watch any one minute of any of those scenes at the daycare center and like like Circus has said the 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 amount of extraordinary unnecessary like perfect detail and then just rendered you know what I mean about the lighting though the way it looks in that scene mm-hmm. it, it that, yeah this movie the... looks amazing it looks so
3: much better than even Toy Story 2 I mean I got it granted it's a long gap but like it, it, having three shots that essentially the same characters they were already basically the easiest characters they could do because it's like hard plastic you know what I mean They do them so well, like, in this movie. I I was struck by it as well. I figured, like, oh, Toy Story 3, you know, that looks about the same as Toy Story 2. No, no, it doesn't. Like, it just just leaps and bounds again above it. It makes me wonder, is there anywhere left to go for Toy Story 4?
2: Well, maybe they can finally fix Buster the dog, because he still doesn't look all that great. (sighs) Yeah, yeah, well, (laughs) living things are tough.
0: Did you guys notice how in the escape when woody is leaving the before you know before all the kids come in and we see woody kind of making his little escape route that like he kind of moves differently um than he used to in the other movies he's just seems a little bit more flexible a little bit more animated Do, did anybody else yeah he does you know. a little fancy, jumpy he, they yeah did, when he's like, they like they on the, the toilet well. paper he like grabs mm-hmm. it kind of like wildy coyote-esque but more buster keaton
4: I got a big bold note on, on the antics of Woody's movement in this because I thought they were extraordinary. All the things of him. I mean, the, there was the funny stuff in the second one, like where he has to do a similar thing of sliding down and go go affect the rescue for um, Weezy. Wh- Is that his name? But, but in this one, I just thought it, oh, it was so delightful. The totally, like you say, the totally Bugs Bunny, like running on the toilet paper roll and the way he gets all skinny behind something skinny. Uh, I thought that was just pure joy and, and so well executed.
5: Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they had to render everything from scratch because they yeah. were using new software and new everything. Certainly, and and that's part of why it's so much improved. It's not it's not working off the original models and programming.
3: But the animation is different. I am sort of getting at, like a, noticing that, but like he's Woody's animated with more flair. Like let's put it that way. Like they that you know that they learn they learn by animating the characters for two movies. Uh, it's kind of like how what if you see someone who draws a, uh, a newspaper comic strip, for people who remember those in the newspaper, you know, and if you look at a strip from the very first strip into like the, you know, many, many years later, you see how in the, in the original strip, the characters have attributes and almost inevitably several years in when the strip becomes big, whatever characteristics... Like, they pick something like this character's nose is going to be big. And, yeah, it's big in the first trip, but by the end, the character's basically in a nose with two eyeballs attached to it, right? They, the features become exaggerated. Just look at Garfield and Odie, how they changed over their life. And okay, so, this, yeah. obviously, they can't change the models because the toys are what the toys are. But by the third movie, Woody, you know, in the first movie, he's kind of gangly and spastic. And in the third movie, it's like, you know, it's Buster Keaton or whatever. Like, it's incredibly exaggerated that they... That, It's almost like you need to to get the same high, you need to get a bigger hit of it or whatever, or they're just really homing in on what is it that makes Woody Woody and exaggerating it um, to good effect, I think. Because I I noticed it as well. And when I noticed it, I didn't think like, that doesn't look like Woody. I thought that's the woodiest Woody, just like that's the seatbeltiest seatbelt.
0: See, I disagree. I I thought he was a little bit too cartoony. He didn't feel more like a physical object that's moving around like he did before. I don't know. I thought some of the movements were, it, it went too far. It was too much.
2: Yeah, they come dangerously close in a couple of places to actually almost entering into Looney Tunes territory. Like exactly, scene, yeah, I didn't like the scene that. where the kite like lifts him up off the ground, uh, you know, several hundred feet in the air in milliseconds. And I think there's actually almost some nearly Looney Tunes esque music that plays along with that. That, that yeah, the kite, I think is kind kite of on the mistake.
0: toilet paper. Right, like, but but, but that's Woody. Like his
3: joints don't have anything in them. He is a rag doll that with. Pinch fabric joints. You don't see Buzz acting spastic like that because he's a stiff plastic Space Ranger, right? I think it's in character. It's not as if they just took every character and did that it's to it. It's not just Woody though. It's the know. physics
2: of the situation that are a little screwy. Oh I mean,
3: well, you know, if you're gonna, if you're going to look at that, I mean, Sid's rocket in the first movie
2: is already <laughs> off the. Well, I'm not saying we need to we need to adhere to you know exactly the physical realm that we live in, but
0: it, yeah, I just didn't like the arched back or like the really exaggerated face that he'd do sometimes. I don't know. It's just too much.
2: This series has always had a certain amount of grounding in reality, and I think they kind of push against the boundaries of that in this once or twice.
0: I don't know. They, they talked about this in one of the—if uh, you get
4: the iTunes one, it's got some you know extras on there. And um, there's one where they talked about exactly what David mentioned, which is that I guess I don't know. Maybe they changed the file to Pixar X, and you couldn't open them in the app anymore. But they—that's a computer joke.
5: It was—it was a whole a whole new uh, hardware system too.
4: Well, yeah, they had to totally totally redo them. But also just for doing stuff like lots, they brought in a person. Who uh, basically designed stuffed animals and said like, "How would you cut up the pattern for this?" They draw it on a piece on like a, a clay rendering, but also with Lotso, they talked about how we know Lotso as a bear would like weigh this much, but when he's walking around in the story, he needs to look big, like he's he's got this, he's got the cane, and he's he's a he's a big fella, and he needs yeah. to have some gravitas and these kinds of wrinkles. So I I give him a pass on that. I see what you mean. Woody's a little bit antic. Now, now, how do you guys feel about the uh, Elbozo's dancing? Because I loved it.
0: Love the dancing. <laughs> Love the dancing. I'm, I'm
5: a right. sucker for dancing. Yeah.
3: I think the dancing is also constrained by how the Woody, how the Buzz toy could move. Like it, he moves very quickly between the different frames. But there's no pose that he is put in that, like it, he doesn't get all like rubbery and bendy or anything. He stays stiff plastic the whole time. He just moves very quickly.
0: And you hear the the joints like clicky click click like with his little matador kind. Of, right, oh, it's yeah. so great. It's so good. I think
2: where the movement, the, the realistic toy movement as realistic as that can be, live toys moving around. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite part of that is probably the Ken fashion show that comes a little bit later because. <laughs> It's oh, already yeah. hysterical with his, com- his coming out and modeling sailor suits to uh, <laughs> whatever disco inferno <laughs> or whatever it is. Yep. But when he can't, when he can't really strike the pose because his joints don't work that way and he mm-hmm. doesn't have yeah. movable knees, it's uh-huh. twice as funny. <laughs> they and do that all the time
4: when, when Barbie when Barbie jumps into his lap. It's he has yeah, trouble her, her like stiff little legs. Stiff legs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that stuff
2: is great. That stuff is great, and that all adheres to the, the sort of physics model that I expect to see in one of these movies.
3: That was like the the choice they had in the Lego movies. Like to like in the Lego movies, the the choice was: do we make the Legos only move like Legos, or do we make the legs bendy? And I, there's like the lively debate about what is the right choice there, with many test renders and everything. But uh, uh, there's there's arguments on both sides. Okay, so then
1: we end up in Bonnie's room.
0: And I loved what about Bonnie's room because after we see the toys getting all ravaged right all in the in the playroom and everything and then Buzz gets tossed up on the windowsill and he sees the butterfly room and all the kids like cuddling all the toys and being nice and playing and he's in hell over there with all the little toddlers. Anyway, so then it's like juxtaposed with that. You go to Bonnie's room where the toys are again like having this kind of great play date because she just found Buzz. Uh, sorry, she just found Woody. Uh, hanging from the tree and so she takes him home and he's there kind of role-playing now with all of bonnie's toys in bonnie's room and what i liked the best what i noticed the first thing in bonnie's room is that not all of her toys were like girl pink princess sparkles like cupcakes Mm -hmm. like it wasn't all so overly you know uh uh, a glorified i guess um is the best way to put it. But it wasn't so like the regular, like a girl's toy aisle. It didn't look anything like that.
4: Ken's the one that uses a glitter marker, not, not the little
2: girl. <laughs> exactly. But the sense I get from Bonnie is she gets whatever toys don't get sent to the daycare center. So she's probably got kind of a mishmash of things that were deemed inappropriate for them.
0: It's a nice balance, you know what I mean? She has like sure. the the box of, you know, the spaceship box or the airplane box mm-hmm. that she made and she has like the kitchen and She's got it's a dinosaur. Just, it's a, She's got a Tartaro. Yeah, she has dinosaurs. It's just a very yeah. well-balanced normal kid room, a lot beep, boop, like beep, Andy, beep, right? Boop.
1: <laughs> and that's a really nice. I like that. I like that scene with the uh when she she goes to the bathroom and and Woody's like, where are we? And their answer is, well, we're at a cafe, perhaps in yeah. Paris, perhaps in New Jersey. And he's like, no, oh, no yeah,
2: where they take it very seriously. They're method we. actors. I had two notes in Bonnie's room. I had, oh hey, Kristen Shaw. I had no idea who she was when this came out. Oh yeah, yep. So I was excited to hear her voice. Uh-huh. And then my other note is, oh, hey, Totoro. I had no idea who he was when this came out. <laughs> wow. Oh, my oh. gosh. So it's exciting to get to uh, appreciate that scene in a whole new light. We've helped you so much. And
0: Bonnie's toys are so welcoming and loving. It's so nice.
2: Well, I feel like Totoro, like, so
3: Miyazaki's a big influence on, on many of the the big principles at Pixar. and yeah, They thank him
2: in the credits I saw. Right.
3: Um, I kind of felt like the first time I saw this, putting actual Totoro in the movie, it's like, all right, now we get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like Miyazaki. Like, uh, I, I mean, again, the, the the eclectic collection of toys that the, all these kids have—that they would all actually have this kind of variety. The only way a kid that age is going to have Totoro is if their like parents showed them Totoro, like because they love it, right? Because it's not a contemporary movie for them. Uh, same way with the Woody. The only way you have Woody is if it was like your parent's toy or whatever. But because this is a movie made by old people and they love Miyazaki, they finally said, "Why don't we just put it in the movie? Can we get the clearance for that? Just put it in." And he doesn't really. Have any lines or doing anything remotely Totoro-like, which is fine. He sure
4: does. He gets a big, wide grin yep. at the end. Okay, but no. here's the thing.
3: He, he doesn't howl terrifyingly. To, to, a big part of Totoro is scaring Whoa. children.
4: Well, yes. we see we do see a man in the yard at the end. I don't want to push this too far. Steve, get my back on this. Okay. Maybe <laughs> Bonnie's quote-unquote dad is from Japan. Do we see a man? I, well, there's a dude in the yard at one point, but I don't see any clearly identified dad. I'm just Maybe saying. Maybe that's Andy's dad. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> but you have to be Mine. from japan so
3: you're from Bonnie, huh? like where this yeah is you going. do john
4: you have to be from japan
5: it's miyazaki himself
3: he's always there a good cop.
4: <laughs> that's it that's miyazaki is, is Miyazaki's bonnie's dad <laughs>
3: miyazaki is a miserable old man which we learned <laughs> from the he, kingdom he, of dreams and madness exactly. so i hope he's, he's
4: always bonnie's at work dead. with his apron on
1: he's <laughs> <laughs> we, in bonnie's adorable house with her adorable toys uh, including uh, including the dinosaur um, and the kind of smooshed
2: doll Which is great. But
0: Woody gets a chance to get played with again, and he likes it. That's an important part. Yes. Right?
2: He's overjoyed, and he's a little conflicted because he hasn't been played with in a long time, and he's about to go off to college, where he probably will never be played with again.
0: And he was kind of the hero again. Bonnie kind of, like, put him in that hero role. Yeah. Like, cowboy, you saved us, Mm -hmm. right? That's, like, pretty significant for Woody.
2: There's also a really good bit of sort of storytelling here, where um, we get the address for uh, Bonnie's house on the post-it note, which comes into play later. Presumably that's what he writes on the post-it note that he puts on the box at the end. Yeah. But uh, it, it doesn't need to be there. I mean, he could have said anything on that note or, or you know, maybe we could have just assumed that, uh, you know, his uh, Andy's mom told him where Bonnie's was and sent him there but uh you've got those nice little sort of those those early foreshadowings that ex- ex- sort of explain how things went just a little extra detail it was not ne- not really necessary but it, it's a nice touch i think you got the clown
3: at the the window scene at Bonnie's house
1: too oh right? that's
2: right oh but that's yeah that's later that's a
0: little bit later that's that's yeah. coming up yeah okay jason lead us into uh, sunnyside after hours
1: yes <laughs> sunnyside uh after dark where the where there is the see and say gambling uh buzz is uh found out And, uh, put in, in, uh, Lotso is gradually revealed to not be a friendly bear after all, but the, uh, the boss of this area and,
2: and, uh, Buzz is put in the chair. We get the sight of Ham squirting a bunch of blocks and a Weeble King out of his belly button, which Mm -hmm. I find fairly disturbing.
0: (laughs) <laughs> right when they're all ravaged after after mm. playtime,
2: yeah. Th- this is so we find out that that the, uh, they've been the new toys
1: get stuck with the most dangerous of the rooms because the other toys don't want to be torn limb from limb by the by the youngest kids, um, and that that's the way it's going to be. Well, I, the one thing before you get out of the the uh, the snack machine
3: is an ex- this is a new extension of the Toy Story universe. These toys here at the daycare have got have sort of like figured out their toyness to the point where, where they realized it's important to save manuals for all the toys so you've got the little librarian toy yes. that has the oh, manuals yes. because the manuals tell you how to reset things and stuff like that and that this information isn't just for like for the purposes of repairing but also it gives you power to you know it's 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 like discovering how the human body works and then building weapons to, you know, inflict the most damage to them, right? So they they have, they have the manuals. They can disable Buzz because they have the thing that tells you how to switch them, how to, you know, erase his memory or whatever and switch them back into other mode, which is farther than any of the other movies have gone with the toys really recognizing their toys. It's kind of like the Enlightenment where you realize that humans are just animals too and we can study them by taking them apart and, you know, stuff like that. And I don't want to go too far, but you can keep, like... I don't know. they can keep stretching this like in Toy Story 4. How far do they want to go with toys reali- like realizing they're manufactured? Like if there's a factory where that's stamping out a bunch of toys at what point do they come to life? Like I don't know. The factory
5: settings. Well, and again, and again that plays into the whole Divine Comedy thing.
1: It it does feel like the it's the prison library too, right? This is the, you know, they've they've controlled the information. They've got all of it. They can use it as power. Um you know they know their toys, but this is—you're right. This is going a little bit further where they—they're they're now able to shut down or reboot their enemies to make them com- compliant, which is what they uh, are going to
3: look or at. T- or t- take bugs. them apart, like they know they know how they go together. Yep.
2: There's a fairly fairly lengthy scene here before we get back to Bonnie's, where the toys basically realize that they're in prison first of all they realize that andy was in fact going to put them in the attic
0: right because mrs potato head's eye is, her eye is yes. under the
2: highest <laughs> the, not talking about the, her meta, the metaphysics eye. of that you complain that a kite went up a little too fast and now
1: she's looking through her eyeball that's, it's another world building thing where they've decided <laughs> Spooky that instant, actions in, and in, distance. yeah instantaneous uh potato head eye there's no range for that she just has her uh ability to see and that's a good that's an important plot point because that allows them to get information right. about andy's presence and if he's left for college yet that they otherwise wouldn't know. Uh, it's pretty obvious what it is, but that's why right. well, that's why she doesn't have that eye.
2: But later we learn that all of Mr. Potato Head's pieces apparently have an independent life of their own, which opens all sorts of disturbing avenues of the imagination. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they, they spend some time uh, sort of realizing their situation Uh, and we get the first scene when uh when buzz is in the vending machine uh where we see big baby as the enforcer and i just want to give props for whoever came up with big baby as the Mm -hmm. enforcer because (laughs) big baby is brilliant it's such an ironic thing to have a baby doll
0: oh that lazy eye but yeah
2: that lazy eye is so creepy (laughs) so good and we see how he got it and and in the end big baby ends up being kind of a sympathetic Mm -hmm. character who's been sort of uh, sort of duped into becoming you know uh going over to the dark side but um, he throws the emperor down the reactor yeah shelf, so it's, yes he does it's a, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of there. homages in this movie mm-hmm. but boy is he creepy man <laughs> He is—he strikes a figure, and big baby sound
1: is just the baby sound, so it's not yeah, exactly. Kid. He's not and like the butchering pen marks all over
0: its body too. Yeah. That's totally what we do to all the baby oh, dolls. They'd always I think those like are tattoos ten crayon marks in his everywhere. case
3: though. Oh, the, the best big baby scene is when he's sitting on the swing, looking up at oh, the moon, yeah. like, looking up at the moon, like oh, yeah. oh. Even, it's even even got my kids we watching around. it again as a family, and then my daughter said, "Why is he looking at the moon?" I'm Like. Just what he does. <laughs> That's what the baby does, man. He's out there
2: every night, all by himself on the swing set, looking at the moon. Mm-hmm. And well, if you, thank walk you by, baby. Its head will rotate 180 <laughs> degrees and <a> <laughs> right <laughs> at you
4: <laughs> <laughs> into your soul. How is this rated G? My well, God!
2: Especially when you get to uh, what has got to be the filthiest line in any Pixar movie, which is, "Hey, no one takes my wife's mouth except me." <laughs> With the second filthiest probably being "I told you, kids, stay out of my butt." Both from Mister Potato Head. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe they gave Don Rickles a little more leeway in this movie yep. and kind of ran with it. <laughs> Can we talk about Lotso's origin? Yeah. Yes. Now we're back in Daisy's room and we hear the we hear the tragic backstory.
4: Yes, of we get Daisy. the we get the wonderful Bud Lucky doing another yeah. fantastic voice. I knew appearance Lotso. In this. as the clown. Yeah. So you all have seen Boundin, I'm sure. He, um, mm-hmm. he did mm-hmm. the music and the singing in Boundin. I think he's uh, an animator. It's just been, been there, there since Christ was a corporal. But he has such a wonderful voice, and he's so perfect for the clown. The,
1: uh, so we learned that, that uh, Lotso was left behind. Lotso, the clown, and Big Baby were left behind at a rest stop by their person. And then they walk, and it's very sad. They walk all of the, all of the way back from who knows how far away. And finally months later, reach their their uh, their person and Lotso climbs up to her window to discover that she's playing with a replacement Lotso that her parents <laughs> bought that bought her. <gasps> that she might not even know is different. We did the same thing for my son's favorite
3: stuffed animal. We bought two of them we had a backup.
0: But come on, what what is wrong with Daisy's parents that they were out and they didn't realize that her kid like their kids I know. Are their favorite toys like in the park? Yeah. I would have driven back to that park and gotten them. You know what I, I mean? Like, asleep, I think Daisy's right?
2: probably related to Andy in some way. Was, maybe maybe, the maybe they had backups. They sisters. didn't want to drive back. They just took out oh the man,
0: I am so protective no. of Adam's like special toys. Even though they change every single day, I make sure that he has them because I don't want to hear it in At, the evening.
1: If like. you let them <laughs> take all those toys mm-hmm. out of the car. Which, first off, that's a lot of stuff to be bringing out of a car to a rest stop and then not check to bring them back in. I get there distracted, she fell asleep, whatever. But, but
0: still, that's a lot of stuff, I right? I know.
1: Yeah. That is a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, bad It happens. Bad. People leave things behind. They're litter it bugs. Happens. That's what they are.
3: It's just,
1: <laughs> just ask Dan about his transformer toy. We left a baby doll behind uh, when we were in Hawaii uh, with, with Jamie, and we, we almost missed our flight back because we drove like an extra 40
2: minutes to go get the doll.
0: Because that's your, your good parents. That's why. That's, that's Daisy's true. parents, they're crap. Yeah. Somebody on
2: the story team had a rough experience, I think. Yeah. And it informs all of these stories. Well, you know, actual toys aren't alive. So
3: in mm-hmm. real life, what? You, you can, can just buy another one and the kids sell You try them. to tell a kid that. Oh, hey. you don't. You just give
2: them another toy. Oh, we found them. Here it is. Assuming you've got one to replace it with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, think ahead.
4: Two is one. One is none. Think ahead by like <laughs> when
2: you pick up your sleeping kid <laughs> off of the pile
3: of toys, you also scoop up yeah, the toys. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're in a hurry. The worst part of our backup, our backup thing for my son is that... At one point he had like school pictures and my wife wanted him to take it with the little stuffed animal and she made him take it with the replacement because it was a nicer condition. So now we have this picture of him with his toy. That's not really his toy. We look at it like that's the imposter. <laughs> <And you> know, <laughs> so he took the picture with the shiny new one and then came home and switched immediately back to the old one he never knew.
4: Okay, holiday curmudgeon. When did you, when did you <laughs> oh tell your God. child that you had lied to him? Oh, i don't know much 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 later Back so he, knows. he didn't care anymore he knows yeah, you're a monster so.
3: why would you tell him well because it's a funny story
1: like look at this picture
3: because john's
4: all yeah. about the truth
1: <sighs> you know, all about the truth yeah i just sigh at that i can't believe this tell the truth <laughs> should we get into the escape plan now yeah all right so uh the phone the phone with the the voice same guy who <laughs> narrates the newsreel in uh the incredibles actually is the is the voice of the tough guy on the phone
3: teddy newton
0: I love when the phone just bumps Woody's leg. Mm -hmm. Our dog does that when he wants something from the refrigerator. It's so cute. (laughs)
3: <laughs> you're not sure if the phone can even talk because he just kind of has that like you know that smile and that face and this is really this is really pushing far the far as far back as i think they've ever pushed with a with a toy that didn't continue like the slinky may be really old but that phone like i remember that phone but it didn't live on like unlike the slinky and the other things like it didn't the phone stayed like they made that phone and we all had it when we were kids if you're old enough yeah. but it never yeah. continued into this day uh, unlike all the other things what
0: are you it's, talking about that phone still exists
2: Really, they keep making.
0: You them? can still, still make buy it? that phone. I have pictures yeah. of my kid pulling that phone around. But it's I like the
4: Hickory Dickory Dock thing. It's a throwback that parents, you know. Also, it makes no sense to children
5: anymore
2: because it doesn't. <laughs> right? Like what is that? Yeah, they I don't right. know what that it's,
5: is. It's not a phone. I I never had one, but it was in every kindergarten and first yeah. grade class yeah. I ever visited, and and even even when my kids went into to pre kindergarten and everything, they had them. So you know it's yeah. there. It's just not necessarily in your house.
0: Yeah, Adam totally knows what a regular phone is. I don't know. Well, how. I know why he, he knows. Must be reincarnated and weird or something. No, but...
5: he knows
3: because you have one sitting there hogging the place underneath your television where AV equipment can be.
0: <laughs> 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 well, yeah, but I mean, the first time we showed him that, he knew what to do. That's weird, right? Yeah. So, so
1: the phone guy g- details what all the issues are of the escape to help them get out, and then we we le- we have this whole. Uh, it, Whole escape plan. The tortilla is gotten in order to mm-hmm. get uh, Mr. Potato Head out of his uh, out of the box.
2: Spend the night in the box. Just just me and sand yeah. and Lincoln logs. Yeah, Lincoln, yeah,
1: those Lincoln logs. Barbie needs to torture <laughs> uh, some information out of Ken. Get the get the information from Ken.
0: So gracefully, she was magnificent. Mm-hmm. Not the Nehru,
1: <laughs> destroying all of That's his vintage. fashion until he <laughs> finally
2: breaks. Tux? We already talked the Ken Fashion Show, which is great. Be quiet, musical hog. That was yes, quiet
1: musical hog. <laughs> so they
3: have a lot of good visual humor here. Obviously, the tortilla is all visual humor. Like the the the, uh, the you know, it's just funny to, to watch him doing that. But one of my favorite bits is so they it's amazing that they can you know draw back from the well of the previous movies gags, know just enough like just you know not to lean on too much. So here we've got we got Buzz. Back to, like, the Space Ranger that doesn't know he's a toy, right? Which they've gone back to that well many, many times. They don't lean on it here, but there's enough time for maybe two or three little gags with it. And some of them are exquisitely done. My favorite is they put the plastic, you know, tub over him as a prison and sit on top of it. And he whips out his laser, draws a circle (laughs) on the plastic, runs into it bounces off of it and then from the foreground two people come together in front of him bouncing off and continuing the scene like they don't even dwell on it as just the gag it is just like a, a transition from scene a because we know he's going to bounce off we don't need to see that gag again we've seen that same joke again but they do the visual gag as a background to two characters talking about the continuing escape and i was just like perfect that was just the perfect amount of stuff it was a good gag and they were moving on before the gag even went off
0: i also like uh the the lighting in this like merlin you were bringing up lighting earlier i think all yeah. these night scenes just would not have oh, been yeah. as possible in the other movies they were the just so dynamic and exquisite and i the look the look at the linoleum at night when they're all in their little cages and the way that the light shining in from the window above them it's it's just really dynamic and fantastic they do they do so
4: much i mean the when he was flying on the kite uh, off the roof, and you know he's kind of colored green because of the light being filtered through the green. There's so much stuff like that. The lighting stuff, and, and the nice thing is, I mean, like you notice it if you're looking at to kind of looking at it to kind of nerd out. But I don't think they're over the top with it. I don't think they're they are showing off, but they're doing it in a very subtle way, and I think it it really helps the story. That's that's what makes the middle so fun for me is how how moody it is, but how how silly it is too. It's a great combination.
0: And there's so many good lines too in the whole middle escape scene oh it's just it's just great yes sir well-groomed man
4: (laughs) the pigeon the pigeon love the pigeon
0: the the
3: pigeon shows up and like (laughs) it just sits there and it doesn't need to do anything you just see a
1: pigeon you just see a pigeon and tortilla you know what's going down
3: Mm -hmm. a pigeon acting like
0: a pigeon (laughs) most pigeony pigeon
1: yeah but hey you know there are other there are other objects that
2: mr potato head can stick his things into (laughs) Rated G guys Rated G Mm -hmm. He's now Mr. Cucumber Head and Mrs. Potato Head seems awfully pleased She likes it Yeah So tall Mm -hmm. (laughs) And skinny
3: What was the line You will not believe what I've been through tonight
0: (laughs) 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 Oh we should totally talk about El Buzzo
1: Yeah so Buzz yeah. is Buzz uh, is accidentally rebooted into Spanish language mode and he uh he begins to speak Spanish and his uh, affection for uh for for Jesse is also revealed uh in greater detail here with his uh with his dancing and stuff.
0: Yeah, he do, he does quite a, quite a great Paso Doble there, I must say.
4: I love that I love that he's voiced by somebody different cuz mm-hmm. that's yeah, seems yeah. like how it would be too. It would not be right. voiced by uh the home improvement guy. I love that,
1: no, and i I like that this is uh, this is just one of those things that's just totally wacky, like. It is. I remember seeing this in the theater and being like, okay, that's not what I expected at all. Like, I don't know how that works in the world. I don't know. I don't care. It's very funny that he's, a, you know, he's made to be, re- you know, sold in a, f- a few different regions. And so he needs to speak Spanish as well as English. And,
0: and he's still buzzed. He's still super helpful. Sure. You know, like he's all, he's all ready to open up the space door. Hero. I'll be <laughs> and, and it
2: makes sense that there'd be some weird esoteric means to switch in between modes. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, right, this is a, the reset this is a real for thing. For longer than five seconds. We have a little play kitchen it goes into multiple languages
3: and the kids love nothing more now they know what that is to change the language and hear it say all these different things you know it's it's like they had a big brainstorming thing of like things about toys things about toys that we have not covered before and one of the things about toys is a lot of them come with different language modes uh and so they decided to work that that was one of the ones that, that you know bubbled to the top and said yeah. we can work that into the movie it's not going to be a major plot point we're not going to be oh buzz is stuck that way and we have to cure him it's just going to be yet another funny gag like i was amazed watching this movie i'd forgotten that though how solid all of the writing is, every scene, every line, nothing wasted, very clever in a way that has unfortunately not been true of some of the more recent Pixar movies, where there are some things that are just sort of, you know, conveying story or moving the plot along, whereas this this feels like, is the A-team back again, really nailing it? And so the, the, the funny Spanish buzz thing does not derail the A-story, it just adds flavor, and they, they pick the five best lines, the five best gags, and it just it makes the whole movie better.
5: Well, and yeah, you you always have something something goes wrong. Like you see the perfect heist, they plan the perfect heist, something goes wrong and they have to improvise. And this is a delightful thing to go wrong and it's ridiculous. That's that's why
1: I love it. I have a note here. My next note in in, in the notes is is just Big Baby is super creepy because we've gotten to the point also <laughs> where Big ba- Baby is out on the swing looking up at the moon,
2: staring at the moon. I think moon. they play
0: the Sid music too when Big Baby's like walking towards them. Oh, Wow. Well,
2: when the big baby's just sitting out there, sort of looking at the moon, you you feel sympathy mm-hmm. for it, even though it's mm-hmm. creepy it's as tell. Yeah, he's a little because we know the backstory of at this daisy. point. Yep. Thinking of daisy, yeah. but then as soon as the, as soon as they make the noise and that head flips around <laughs> instantly, <laughs> with that eye, that creepy eye. Oh man, such a great creepy moment. A creepy doll that always follows you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm. Nice. <laughs> good. Good Barbie line here. Authority should derive from the consent of the governed, not from the threat of force. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> Thank you, Barbie.
3: I wonder how many kids are, are going to see Toy Story when they're kids, right? And then learn about that in school
2: later and be like, yeah, that's from Toy Story, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, sure, kid. Toy Story. I wonder how much
2: extra Mattel paid to have them say that line. Hey, could you guys make her say something smart? Math <laughs> is hard. Other than math is
0: hard. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt Mattel asked them to do that. Yeah, no, they do a pretty I'm good pretty job sure of like... I'm sure that was a Pixar but, thing. Yeah.
3: They understand that Barbie is Barbie, and, like, they have to embrace that, but they constantly are working to subvert it as well. Like, even in the the first movie when she appears, like, in the credits, when she gets tired of smiling and her cheeks are killing her or whatever, like, just, there's always an acknowledgement that, despite Barbie being, at her heart, a Barbie girl, right, it's, she's still, like, the the demands of fulfilling that role, like, it's work, and she isn't just that, that's why she's, you know... Beating up Ken. And, well she
0: stuck up for all her friends she like you know went into jail because she of what she believed in and then she you know she totally right. she um, switched
3: sides didn't say oh i'm gonna yeah. stay in my dream house no screw that she manipulated
0: you know. ken like pretty expertly mm. and yes. she was great she got the manual she put on the suit she forgot to take off her heels but you know it's okay uh
1: this is that we we get here our uh conference it's a confrontation at the dumpster they broke me
3: And the sodium lights of the dumpster speaking of mm-hmm. lighting everything is yellow in the scene yeah
1: and this is uh they're at the dumpster and they they've slid down there and they're they're making their escape, but Lotso is there and Big Baby. And the telephone. But he got tortured. Yeah. He was broke. They he broke, broke, broke under the broke question
2: little me. Broke Again, G <laughs> rating.
1: <laughs> yeah. They, uh, we're all just trash waiting to be thrown away. That's the uh, that's the message here. Just waiting to be yeah, thrown when away. when he yells that line, I'm like, okay, this is the darkest of some yeah. movie <laughs> has ever been. We're entering the dark
2: the dark stuff now. This this is hell. Yeah, so Lotso Inferno. ends up
0: in the dumpster. Uh,
2: Ken saves the day, as I recall. First of all, he, he, he turns on him, and then uh, Lotso throws him over to the, uh, the other group. Sunnyside could be cool and groovy. They turn Big Baby by revealing that Daisy, yeah, revealing that Daisy had not replaced of, Big Baby, but had yeah. exactly. only replaced Lotso right. and yet. And there's that heartbreaking scene where they throw down the Daisy pendant, and Big Baby looks down and says, Mama, yeah." yeah.
3: The daisy pendant is so perfect. It's such a cheap plastic little thing that always comes with the toys with like the handwriting scrawled on it, like not. And then Lotso just brutally smashes it with his stick. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Those things are tough. Yeah, they are.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, when once Lotso goes into the dumpster and then everyone is starting to make their escape, of course, the Pizza Planet guy gets stuck. And even even Woody's like, oh, really? For crying out loud.
1: <laughs> so th- they uh, they end up in the garbage stream they're in the trash truck they have to there's there's adventure uh, an action when they're trying to get things out of uh,
2: people who are trapped in the trash truck and all of that you find
0: out that buzz glows yeah glow in the dark he used
2: to just glow in fluorescent lighting i think that may actually be a bit of a continuity mm, no issue. like they they charge
3: up you put them in light that charges them and then in total darkness they will emit light yeah
0: but where was he recharging he wasn't recharging well, during the, the day that. during the day it doesn't last that long no it's okay one line of dialogue also
4: i, I love the garbage in <laughs> Wally, but i think they're even better in this one the 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 detail on the garbage stuff is amazing throughout all of this.
0: Once they get to the dump, I have to say I'm really sorry, but I totally laughed when the Pizza Planet Aliens got plowed by the <laughs> uh, bulldozer. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I could squeak help it. in a
2: lovely fashion. It
0: was just was everyone was like, hit. no, and they're just <laughs> you know, it,
3: was a good, it was a good way to get people to stop thinking about what is the obvious sort of Deus Ex machina for the end of the movie because you do stop thinking about them because they get plowed away, and you're not really attached to them. And there's so many of them, and they're kind of interchangeable, and they're plastic, and it's done for a gag. And you and like if if you weren't so caught up with the uh, with the plot of our heroes going down the conveyor belt, you may think um, like. I bet you know you would predict the ending. it's gonna be a big claw. it's gonna be those guys. It's like it's so obvious in hindsight, but because they dispose of them and get them off the scene in a comic gag and then immediately bring you into this this peril for our heroes, it, it you know for the first time I watched this movie, it worked like. Up, you know, the claw comes down, and as soon as they did it, you realize what's going to happen. But not before. I don't know if anyone else yeah. predicted it, but I didn't, and I thought that was an Never. amazing bit of movie. Making. Yes,
0: yes. Typically, it's fantastic. a Deus
2: ex Claw machina. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's so much momentum
2: ma- at
1: ma- the McElana. end here, too. Merlin, you're you're totally right. The detail when you think that they had to build every little bit of the garbage.
4: Yeah, I mean, like when you think about yes, exactly. Like all the stuff, it just. It's, and this is, I don't know, this is nerd stuff, but I mean, you know, we talked about this back in the, the episode about Toy Story 1, about even back then, 1995, the baseboards in the house were kind of scuffed. And this one, I don't know, maybe I was sitting closer and I had my glasses on, but man, I was just noticing all of the just extraordinary, unnecessary amount of ridiculous detail. And then you get, think about what it would be to render that scene after they've gone through the shredder, to render all of those pieces. Can you just, yeah. I just can't even imagine. It's, just, it's
1: mind-blowing. It, it, it is, it is mind-boggling.
4: So there's a, it, it,
1: there's an exciting, uh, uh, adventure that happens on the little conveyor and, uh, they save Lotso showing that they're good people and Lotso immediately throws them to the wolves because he is not, yes. he is a very bad toy. And that leads to, uh, yeah. your favorite thing, which is, uh, the slide into death in the, uh, <laughs> in the uh, incinerator. Ugh. The light
3: at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train.
5: Yep. I was already crying through the whole Inferno sequence.
3: Oh, God. You've got them running on the conveyor that's moving, and they're just running yeah. to stay in place. Yeah. Humanity horse, am I right? And and the whole
4: thing seems impossible. Yeah, totally. And th- just the, the, ex- the expressions, I mean, it's, uh, I think, mostly wordless. And just the expressions yeah. and the physical movements... They're, they're grabbing hands. I think there's some kind of like some kind of like heat waves. Like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is really happening. This is it. And the dawning realization, and the little pairings off of the relationships yeah. and holding hands. So, so
3: what Pixar had done with with all the movies before this is it had it had built up enough experience with how they tell stories that I that the only way you could get an audience to believe that they really were going to kill the toys is to have Pixar be what Pixar is and say, you know what, Pixar would kill them. <laughs> Pixar would have it end this way because like. If this was the very first movie Pixar made, like oh, the toys aren't going to die, of course. But given to Pixar's body of work leading up to this, was this? I, did they have a uh, was up before or after this? I forget. It's kind of kind of blends together. But anyway, it was after. It was after. When, when I when I watched this the, for the very first time, I you know it wasn't like I was like again. I was like oh, of course they're going to be saved. I was like it is conceivable that those toys
5: are going to go <laughs> into that incinerator. Entirely conceivable. As as they're holding hands, and then the heat waves started coming, and and that's why I was just bawling my eyes out because it was so impossible how are they going to get out of this oh,
0: and that shot that shot of andy the word andy on his boot that yeah oh, yeah oh, that tells
5: bullseye to stop struggling stop
3: struggling bullseye like oh,
0: it? <laughs> just seeing andy written on his boot i'm like andy's never gonna see
5: you again oh my god and and again the thing that wasn't hitting me it you know it's like we said at the beginning it a lot of the the tears in this are tears of joy For for me, in that in that first moment, the first time I saw it, it wasn't that they were going to die. It was that they were together. It was that acceptance and that that connection they all had.
3: And that's why you could buy it as like, well, they all went out, but they went out together and the lesson exactly. is like together together till the end, right? Like it's <laughs> not as if you're like, This can't be happening. You're like, no, this could be happening. This because the toys accepted, that's what the thing is. If the toys that struggled right for the end There's no joy in that, it is
0: crushing. It's heart crushing. <laughs> oh it's so
2: This <laughs> it never bothered me that much. I I don't think I ever thought there was any chance they would possibly melt down all those toys. I
4: think I think the a big part of it's the music. I think I believe yeah. it's Randy Newman wrote the score, mm-hmm. I think. But that you know, it's funny there was that um, was it everything, or every frame of painting? But there's that bit about, you know, you can't, you can't sing songs from, nobody remembers songs from Marvel movies. But I can hear that song, that bomb, bomb. I can see, hear that in my head right now. And it's, it's it's thunderous. And it's, you know, and the thing is, my, my kid has seen this movie a million times. I've seen it a million times. There should be a name for this phenomenon where you know it's all going to turn out fine. But you're still, you're still kind of bristling in your seat a little bit. It's very, it's very, very uncomfortable
0: there is a someone made a youtube video of cutting the movie where they stopped it and it just faded to black right before the claw came down (laughs) and they showed it to their mother and they just stopped the movie right there and let it hang and they let her think for like a day that that's how it ended (laughs) and she was devastated and they filmed the whole thing it's pretty great but wait mom
2: we're going to show you the real end which is actually worse yeah,
5: and then the claw comes down and saves Tony Soprano, and it's great. <laughs> Speedlights,
2: lights, people. This was a little intense, as I recall, for my son in the theater. He was
1: very concerned. Here is my question for you guys, because I find this scene very affecting. The fact that they join hands, it, it, it destroyed me in the movie theater. It made me reluctant to watch it again. Uh, but, but let me ask this question: uh, Is this scene necessary? D- is this is this scene where they all are? uh giving in to the fact that they're going to be incinerated until they're saved at the last moment. And it is the we're all going to die, we've accepted our deaths, uh, we've accepted our mortality. Now let's uh now let's go into oblivion together. Uh, it's an interesting choice for Pixar to put this in the movie. I would say this is by far the single darkest thing in any Pixar movie. And I did find myself wondering did they need to go this far?
5: or not what do you think i think they did if they were intending to put in the whole divine comedy analogy which is (laughs) why i think that's there Mm -hmm. because you have to have you have to have an inferno there and you have to have the possibility of death and something beyond and you have to have that that salvation but they, they could have they could have had a wacky uh trying to save people and pulling
1: people out and saving them by the seat of their pants from the fireball Scene, and but that's that not would what they have.
5: have. Been funny, they
1: give that up. That would have been funny. They give up and accept death.
3: Yes,
5: in this scene. Yes, they ha- they
3: have to accept it. It's the consequences of them being good because they save they save Lotso. That's why they don't get out because they you know they go back for Lotso and they save him and like it's. It's kind of the thing of like being good sometimes has consequences and you have to decide are you going to be the kind of person who leaves lots sort so to die? Are you going to be the kind of person who saves them? Uh, and just even more broadly, it's just a basic outline of a story where you have to go all the way down to the pit before you have the catharsis of being saved and then you have sort of the denouement where you, uh, you know, get given away to Bonnie, the, the casual like lead out of the movie. But you have right. to bring him down to the lowest level to have the highest high. And like I said, I think the claw saving you know like is kind of a little bit of a cheat but i think i think they pull it off like they, they pull it off they bring them down to the lowest possible low so low that they're not struggling anymore and then they pull, pull them out of that. And it is relief. And I think it allows the end of the movie on the yes, lawn to sort yes, of relax yes. right. and smooth
4: right. out. If the clod come in and pick them out, let's say you change that up a little bit and you decide instead that the shredder is going to be the, the thing they need to avoid. So they never got the magnet stuff. If you had pulled them out with the, uh, the claw before they went into the shredder, uh, that would have felt like a thrill ride, but it wouldn't have had the same kind of Spielbergian, um, uh, thrust that we have with something where you this is it it's all over it's done it's done like you know uh christoph waltz has found you under the boards game over like that and then like i I agree with john i think then that sets up the what should probably be the last toy story movie but it sets up then that (laughs) ability to just hit us hit us between the eyes with with the with the touching and and then and then finish it off with a with a nice little dessert mint of the funny credits but I, i i i i don't know if they needed to go there but i think i'm glad they
0: did it's, a, it's like a savior moment. You know, they didn't save themselves. They they didn't escape themselves over their, you know, with their ingenuity that they've been showing throughout the movie where they can work together and do stuff. We've seen that over and over again. If they just did that again, it wouldn't have felt as as you guys were saying as cathartic as like, you know, uplifting mm-hmm. and 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 kind of, uh, uh, yeah, just savior esque where, you know, you're lifted up into the light, you know, that bright light of the crane turns onto them and it, it's lifted up and then they're poured out.
3: You realize also it's a consequence of them saving those aliens. Like, yep. uh, you know, they're wacky and they're weird, but they brought they brought them into their family uh-huh. and they said, we accept you as your weird little alien things and you can be part <laughs> of our toy group. And that, you know, several mm-hmm. movies later it turned out to be a really important thing that they did.
0: And it it turns out to be mourning when they're dropped and, you know, it's just, you saved our lives. We're eternally grateful. You know, that that moment, that, that gratefulness needed to be the payoff for the whole thing you know they couldn't they couldn't have been grateful to something else they had they had to they couldn't have just done it themselves they had to have someone else kind of save them
2: also the whole the whole hand holding the circle uh, i think just solidifies how important it is that all of the toys stay together and you've got the scene coming up where it's possible once again that woody might be separated from the rest of them and I think that just sets that up. I mean, that mm-hmm. that that adds to your concern that maybe he's going to college, and it's a little okay when you know they shake hands and says this is not goodbye. But then that just makes it all the more poignant when they end up together in the end.
5: And and the movie is shot through with the stages of grief too. I mean, you've got the denial at the beginning of, of them saying, you know, well, we're still, we're still Andy's toys, right? And then anger because he was going to throw them out. They, they're convinced he's going to throw them out. And then the bargaining to try and get to a better part of the daycare and then depression because they realize where they are. And, and you, you finally have the acceptance at the end and then they're saved. All right, David has a lot of theories about this movie. <laughs> I've I've thought a lot about this movie, yeah. yeah.
2: I'm not sure necessarily this has to be there. I will say, well, I enjoyed it personally. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I could I could see a movie without this scene. I I did want to point out that I think this is possibly the only scene I've ever watched with one of my kids in the theater where the kid was suffering clear discomfort at what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, we've watched, we haven't gone and seen any horror movies or anything in the theater, but we have watched a lot of movies with intense action. Uh, and this is the only one where I've ever actually had to kind of calm down uh, the child sitting next to me because he was very
4: concerned for what was about to happen.
1: So the claw saves them. And then we get the last little chunk of the movie, which is they they, they go back to Andy's.
4: I think this is the single most important part of the whole movie and and masterfully handled which is that Woody now has it good. You know what? On top of it all, Woody and the friends they've all made their peace. They're happy for Woody. Woody's glad they're going to be together. Woody gets in the box. Woody looks through the through the little Jesse hole and sees the mom come in and she's losing it because she wants to always be with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him change his mind. What does he write on that note? We don't know. I thought I think that whole sequence is just masterful. Yeah. It's a huge it's a, he makes a huge sacrifice. For yeah. what could have been the life that he always wanted to keep the gang together,
2: but they do a very good job of keeping the fact that it, he's making that sacrifice a secret until the end. Because totally. we do see later, we see the shot of the college box mm-hmm. uh, in the car, and we see the, the, the little car, slot yeah. he's been looking through previously. We don't see his eyes, but we kind of assume maybe he's in there watching. Well, then he takes all the Andy
3: takes all the toys out of the box to give to Bonnie, but does not take Woody out. So we no. don't know that Woody's still in the box till she's playing with all the toys. Then they have the little camera moves over, and you see Woody at the bottom of the box. Right. And he, he's having he's a little bit of trouble day. giving him away.
1: So that's the... Uh, I, I love that he... he Because he he wants to take him to college. Um, he is the... We mentioned this earlier. He's the totem of childhood, right? That... that from, Think of this from Andy's perspective, right? He doesn't really play... With toys anymore. He's going to college, but there still are things that he's got that are the totems that are the the things that remind him of his childhood that he's got an emotional attachment to. And he's not, you know, the bottom line is he's not taking Woody to play with him. He's taking him just to sort of be present, and if we believe fundamentally that toys are meant to be played with, that's what makes them happy. Then uh, it, you know, but Woody is doing the right thing in fulfilling his what he what he should be, which is some some kid's toy. Not and Andy's outgrown him. Andy doesn't play with him anymore. And take being uh, uh being on your uh, your dorm room shelf gathering dust is not a future that that he should have.
4: He did it by doing something. I think he's mostly never <clears throat> never done before, which is it's not that he's defying the will of Andy, but as we said in the in the first third of this, he's all about being the person to make sure everybody's in line with doing whatever it is that Andy wants. But he makes this is this is the change, this is the turn in the story of this this character is that he decides, you know, kind of by fiat, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this differently, and and that makes all the difference.
1: And we do see what he writes on the post it note. It is uh, thanks to riffle in the chat room. It's uh, Bonnie's uh, street
2: address. That's what it is. You can see it? Really? 1226 Sycamore. Which is exactly what uh, was on the earlier post-it note that we saw in her room when they got her address. Yep. Wow.
0: We see Andy, too, uh, having a moment of being a child again a little bit, too. because As as he's taking each of the toys out of the box and he's handing them over to Bonnie, he's like happily kind of pushing them her way and explaining their little uh, lives and how he used to play with them and, and giving them to her. And then when he gets to Woody... And Bonnie reaches for Woody with, like, the My Cowboy. He recoils. He does. He, like, pulls back. Yeah. Like, it's mine. Like, as if he were a child reacting to another child trying to grab his toy. And he has that, like, immediate, really emotional, visceral reaction to her. And that is everything. Like, it shows so, like, the deep relationship that he had with Woody as his toy. But then... He takes that moment and he's like, you know what? It is like everyone. It, it is his. It is time. Yeah, he's
1: weighing the, that same thing, which is I'm not going to play with him, and she uh, she's going to mm-hmm. give she's going to play with him. the 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 scene where he introduces every toy and explains how they fit into the world is the scene that destroys me, utterly mm-hmm. destroys
2: me. Yep. Because well, it's your yep. goodbye to each of the characters. Uh, I'm
0: going to start time. crying now. Stop.
5: That's the one that still gets me.
1: So the thing about it, and 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 the other the other movies are like this too, but but this one, Dr. Drang mentioned this, I think, when we talked about toys too Um, this is that moment i i already see it in my daughter you know who is 15 almost uh, that sometimes she is a kid and sometimes she's an adult and she just kind of goes back and forth a young adult they go back and forth like it's all it's not like one day they wake up and they're not the other one and this is that moment of like this is the this is the the um child uh who we knew as Andy. And it's like, it's not like Andy doesn't know and have affection for all of these toys. He's just kind of moved on. But, uh but, and you see it in that moment of like, he's about to go off and go to college and be an adult, but it's not like he doesn't have all of, all of that knowledge and all of those feelings inside. And so he's passing it on to her. And uh yeah, that gets me. And then
0: they play together. And I know. They, right. Oh, they all play together on the lawn. He the starts lawn. playing with her. Oh.
4: But it's, it's also important that like, we've learned to love these characters. Um, I mean, it becomes a funny joke when you see Buzz when he's not, what's the word? Like when he, you know, when he's in being around a child mode and he's got that silly, that ridiculous look on his face. And that becomes kind of funny because you've seen so much of all these characters' personality. Like a vast majority of what happens with these characters in the movie is when they're in that other world where they're being the, the animated characters who run around and have a life. But again, another important turn, they are inanimate. They are just toys in his hand. That he loves, and he's narrating why he loves them. I think that that's a huge part of it. Is that he's telling he's telling their story, and and uh, that's that's just what sense. crushes you. Mm-hmm. And the
2: toys are aware in, in that moment that this is it. This is the last time Andy's playing with me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying goodbye, and this is why he loves me. And you could ah uh, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> so,
0: <And laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. I feel like sometimes the the only way I can get through this is thinking about the the short um, the party Rex one where it actually shows the toys kind of living in bonnie's house have you guys seen yeah. that one yeah yeah so that's
1: the further adventures it's like now great now now we're in a new world where we're at bonnie's house with those characters yeah
0: <laughs> i have to keep that in my mind that like they're happy they really like bonnie and <laughs> uh-huh. bonnie's super nice bonnie's i have to keep reminding myself that she's a good kid and she's gonna take really good care of them it's such a good back
2: bookend though to that earlier scene where he just offhand calls them junk
0: but he doesn't really mean it. He's just being a moody teenager. No, of course yeah. not.
2: I mean, here we see what he really thinks when he when he returns to the child that still lives on inside him, even though he's grown up.
0: Even when he was calling them junk, you could tell
2: the way he looked at them. You know? Oh, it's of course, kids, but they you know, had no idea. Yeah, the kids are trying to put that behind them. And
0: even
5: though Andy's story is kind of it's in it's in the background for a lot of the movie, but again, you've got the stages of grief there too. And this is the acceptance, and this is why he couldn't make that decision at the beginning of the movie. You had to get through all of those levels to get to it
1: david will
3: There's be giving so a lecture this on this movie. uh
5: subject at the, i love this, this david this your would book, be my thesis it's great yeah. excellent so
3: after the after he drives off down that perfect street and the toys look up on the camera pans up and it pans up to a sky with uh, yeah. you know the sky above the house with clouds yep. that are the exact shape of the clouds in andy's bedroom like andy's that, you know wallpaper. It's, yep. mm-hmm. exactly
1: the uh so i i like that i like that they've got we know that they're in a good place with Bonnie. We like the characters we already met. Our friends have gotten there. That's all great. There's a there's a final montage. Uh, we we see what's happening at the preschool since since the cruel reign of Lotso has ended and everything seems seems good. I did have a thought that they must have had some sort of truth and reconciliation program at the the preschool, because it seems like there are a lot of lots of collaborators who've been welcomed back into society. So they must be very forgiving at the preschool, is what I'm
2: saying. Some toys
1: went to Argentina.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Ken gave that great speech over the dumpster about how the the uh, daycare could be cool and groovy if it was right. run properly, and we see realization in the in uh, the enforcers' eyes, each of them,
0: and Barbie too. Hey, Barbie's right there too with her, you know, political exactly. speeches. And they send and messages. She's ready to to run this place. I
4: love when they tag out, like the one the one toy's getting beat up. Yeah, they go. They go. They have the
3: cheerleaders cheering them on in the caterpillar room. You can do it.
1: Yeah, that's good. But again, some of those they're awfully forgiving. About uh, people who committed crimes during the Yolazzo era is all. True. I'm <laughs> well, you
2: know it's cool and groovy, man. It's all cool and groovy now.
1: Yeah, well, including Ken, right? So yeah, Ken, Ken came over to the other side. So I guess he's gotta you, we gotta forgive all of them. It's a commune now,
0: and, and Barbie sewed his glitter tucks back together, mm-hmm. so it's okay. Yeah. I'm really glad we get that
2: scene because I I always I thought it was a little weird in the first place that uh, that Andy donates all of his toys to Bonnie because it's not like. He really knows her, and it's she's not particularly in need. She has plenty of toys, and it seems kind of inevitable that at some point, mom is going to snag at least half of these and take them right back to the daycare. So, yeah, it's probably a good thing that uh, that that little bit is at the end. Keep there. the lines not just because open. We know Ken and Barbie are still there, but right.
1: Even if some of our friends get uh, get shunted off to the the preschool, right. it's not uh, it's not bad anymore. It's not, a, it's not a prison anymore. And they may all eventually end up there. For what right. we know, right? They might.
3: Even the monkey's cooler now. He's not all high-strung, mm-hmm. looking with his wide eyes. Oh, he's Oh, yeah, he's cool. rocking out, man. He's got he the, just cla- the sunglasses he's a on. He's having his little drum circle.
2: Yeah. Clapping his cymbals together in groovy He just won uh, the band.
1: Lotso was just no good, man. Lotso ruined everything. That bear, that that strawberry scented
2: bear, stinking bear, and now he's strapped to the front of a trash truck.
0: <laughs> I love that he he takes his final ride on the front of the the garbage truck.
2: Yeah, Sid or whoever, <laughs> I don't know, a garbage
0: man, garbage it's man, Sid. not Sid. No, it's no, big Sid. garbage man. Uh, oh, well, finds
1: right. finds uh says I had a I had a doll like this when uh, when I was a kid, and they nail him to the front. Strawberries. Of the... He smells
2: it. Yep. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it would he would actually does. be kind of perfect if it was the Sid garbage man though, because it's just the kind of thing he used to do.
1: So, what do you all think about Toy Story three and how it fits with the with the first two? Because I I think w- when I was introducing this episode, I mean, this is really the thing: is late sequels are very hard to pull off, and it's easier in animation because you don't have aging actors that you have to explain away and all of that. But they do take a time jump, and they do get back into it. I remember, as Steve has said a couple of times, when they announced this movie, everybody was like, "Really, really, you're going back to the Toy Story well again after after a decade?" And uh, you know, it turned out that generally, the consensus is it's great. like they, they didn't they did it. Who, who would have thought that they would have done another great Toy Story movie after all that time, but they they had it in them and they, and they did it. So everybody else, you know do you where do you where do you slot this one?
2: Well like I said, I think this is it is impressive as hell that they managed to make not only another great Toy Story movie but they also managed to pull off the kind of poignant thing that makes you ball again in the same universe uh, to an even greater extent, I think. Um, to me, I don't think this quite reaches the level of Toy Story 2. I'm not sure how it sits with Toy Story 1. And the reason for that is I think um, this may be just maybe a little bit too heavy. Uh, you know, you've got Toy Story 1, which is mostly a lot of gags and an adventure story with a little bit of heart. Um, Toy Story 2, I think, just about perfectly balances the sort of poignant heart bits and also the sort of fun, uh, wacky nature of the Toy Story universe. And this, the tone is just a little too dark. Uh, and the, there's a little bit too much of the sadness, I think, Um and, and I guess, you know, it makes a reasonable kind of continuum with the other films. But for me, I just I don't enjoy it quite to the same level. And I don't think it reaches the kind of balance that Toy Story 2 does for me. Um, obviously, you know, the animation's much, much better in this than either of the other two. So that's a big step forward. But I think as a film as a whole, I think two gets the nod for me and maybe it may a tie between three and one. I think this is
3: first of all, I like the fact that all three Toy Story films are different, like they're not yes, all the same tone yes. they and all the same structure that they did. They did three different movies. Um, I think Toy Story three is by far the most sophisticated of them in all aspects, sophisticated movie making, writing, plotting, animation, everything about it shows, you know, they've, you know, used all their skills and all their powers to uh to make this amazing movie showing that, that these you know that they're better now than they were when they made two and one at making movies in all aspects right all that said i think to not that it strikes the best balance for me between like the heavy stuff or whatever but just that like that three starts to get into the realm of pixar um making everything making it sounds bad like making everything really good like don't you want everything to be really good but somehow we kind of like love the movies that uh despite their flaws and toy story 3 doesn't really have that many flaws in it and i feel like it does have a lot packed into it like once you have all those skills and powers and you can make a much more sophisticated movie it's almost unfair to say we're gonna punish you for being so much better than you were before and to making this amazing movie. And the degree of difficulty is higher, as you pointed out, for a third sequel or whatever. So I you know, I think probably three is a better movie than one and two, but two still kind of holds the the place of honor for me personally, and I can see totally see that varying or whatever. Um it's again, you know, favorite versus best. Like Toy Story Three is an amazing achievement in so many ways, but two two just feels like I don't know two two is elevated in my mind and one definitely has the look this is the first time we're doing this This isn't it amazing that we're doing it all one is not as good a movie as two or three but again it's best versus favorite i don't you know it's very very difficult to rank them because they are so different and so mostly when i think of these movies i just appreciate like i said before they made three good movies they made three great movies right and so everything else aside in this particular series since we haven't seen four yet Every one of the movies is a great movie, which is an amazing achievement. And like if if you were involved in any way with the Toy Story franchise, you know, you can retire happy and say, guess what? We made three great movies and that is really hard to do. And it's almost never been done before.
5: I, I mean, I love them in order. Uh, I mean, the first one is delightful. You know, it's just it's a fun story. The second one. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's a little bit more. It has more depth. It has, you know, we, we get to grow with the characters. I love the third one most of all because it's it's kind of like if if the first one is the theory of gravity and you go, okay, that's kind of cool. And the second one, now you've got quantum physics. And the third one is like super string theory where you have like, you know, 37 dimensions where you, once you just thought we had four, right? Uh I love that, that it had all that ambition and all the silliness and all the plotting and they nailed it, right? They didn't. It, it wasn't like, oh, they tried to do so much more, and and you know, good for them for trying. They did it. They achieved it. And and so it's it's a film that you know, I watched. I watched the five year old, who and and I realized it's his first time in the theater was seeing that, and he loved the first two. He you know, we had them on DVD, and and he was just entranced for the whole thing, and yet. There, it 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 was never, and it's not like Pixar does this, right? Others have, you know, hey, here are jokes for adults, and here's stuff for the kids, and you know, Pixar does a good job of balancing all that, anyway. But this was a film I could enjoy without having a child in the room, right? This is a movie I would choose to watch. I don't always watch the other two, um, and so th- it this engages me on on so many levels. I, I I just I love it way beyond the other two, and I love the other two. Don't get me wrong, so superstring theory,
1: um stages of grief, and the Divine Comedy. again, I think you've got a there's a just read the mon- monograph by uh, David Lore about Toy Story three as as
5: much as I love all the other Pixar films and even the later Pixar films, this one, I think might be the best thing they've ever done. Teff, what do you uh, where do you put this one?
0: Well, I was gonna say it's it's kind of a close second favorite to for me. I was gonna say two is my favorite. But if it, cause this would be my favorite if it weren't for all the crying. Uh, it does make <laughs> me very upset, especially like looking at my little boy, and I can't help but, you know, just the the anticipation of of fearing that loss of him growing up. You know, like that really gets me. But I'm gonna cry now. Um, but I don't know. It is just so much better. The jokes are better. The uh, I just like the characters a lot better. I love Barbie in this. I love that she's not like a super made up, you know, like glamour Barbie. And so I, I think that's great. Um, yeah, it's just it's so close. And my son loves this one. I think this one's his favorite. He sits the longest through this one. And his little friend always requests this one too when she's over. <laughs> so I, I guess that that kind of pulls up my heartstrings a little bit there, too, and that he really likes it. So Man, it's just waffling back and forth between two and this one for me. So it's it's right up there. It's great.
4: I find it very difficult because I think it was John, whoever said that. You know, enjoying that they're very different films. Uh, they really are, and I, I I like that a lot. I I'm just sitting here trying to come up with something intelligent to support my incredibly just emotional gut reaction, um, where I feel like this one was an epic. Right, and yeah. I, I, I think it was a very successful epic. I think I'm, I think I like Toy Story two more. And the, I, the, I guess it's really, really lame. But the closest I can think of is like Toy Story one is Beatles for Sale, Toy mm-hmm. Story two ha. is Rubber Soul, and this is Revolver. And I know Revolver is the best Beatles album. Forget about Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> I'm with you there. That's not the best Beatles album. Um, Revolver is the best album. But there's something special about. Rubber Soul because if you go back and you listen to Beatles for sale and they are they put out three albums in a year they are totally beat up and but that was still a transformative album where you first really feel them becoming songwriters but Rubber Soul is where they turned a corner and did something that seemed impossible and then you know I think Revolver is the uh, is the culmination of that in a lot of ways and the, probably the Beatles best album this is probably the best Toy Story movie but there's still a part of me that likes the scale the scope and the execution of Toy Story 2 a little better. Um, I don't know. It's it's difficult. I guess if I had to put it on some kind of a chart, like Toy Story 3 and 2 would be up here in like the 90th percentile. And Toy Story 1, you know, technical stuff notwithstanding, would be in the 70th to 80th. There's whole parts of that movie I just think aren't – In retrospect, they're not nearly as good as they were at the time. But like for what – if you grade them, you know the way they do – like uh, Box Office Mojo will be based on like inflation-adjusted. If you do technically inflation-adjusted numbers, I still think Toy Story 2 Hmm. is arguably the most transcendent.
1: But I love this movie. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't choose. I think that everybody said exactly. They all have things going for them. Toy Story One was first, and they were really trying to figure out how to do this thing. And Toy Story Two was them having being, being triumphant and being at the top of their game and confident in what they're doing. And Toy Story Three, you know, you're talking about more than a decade later, where things have advanced so much that they have way more uh, paints on, you know, in their palette than they had for Toy Story 2, and they want to show them off. And so they're very, I think, very different movies from different stages in the life of Pixar, and all good, all very good. So...
4: So what's your pick though? You got to pick one. Pick was, one. Pick uh, it.
1: Forget about inflation adjusted uh, adjusted technology, inflation adjusted numbers. If I had to pick just one, it would probably be Toy Story Two, uh, but I don't want to pick. So I'm uh, there. I picked without picking.
0: <laughs> you know, I think I am going to be swayed. Toy Story Three is better. All right, I like it better because oh, I like yay. I like, it, good I like a good Heights movie. That's I love I love synchronizing see? watches. Got I, I gotta movie. go for it. Yeah. It's not a heist, but it's like an escape. You know, they synchronize. Yeah. They work together. Yeah. I like the montages. I love it. Yeah.
4: It's a mission impossible. I want to put in a recommendation for something um, everybody here almost certainly knows about. We've talked about it before. I just want to mention it again. <laughs> um, it's just a source of pure delight. There are, I think at this point, two collections of Pixar shorts you can get on iTunes. And they are... Just wonderful. Um, going back all, you know, pretty much all the way back to like shorts that are very, very technically ambitious for the 1980s, all the way up to fairly recent ones. Those two volumes of Pixar shorts are a lot of fun. And there's two, at least two really delightful uh, Toy Story shorts on there. There's one called Hawaiian Vacation that's adorable, but I love small fry. And small fry is basically Buzz gets lost at a, (laughs) at a chicken fast food restaurant and gets replaced by a toy like a toy of a toy from the restaurant has anybody seen that Small Yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's a total delight
1: yeah seek out the toy story shorts and seek out the one that that uh comes after toy story three where you get to feel like happy that your friends are doing fine in bonnie's room and they're having little uh wacky hijinks in bonnie's room which are great it's a great short but also it just is a nice emotional continuation of toy story three where it's good to see them having a uh, one well, a good time, and they've
5: done thirty-minute specials for ABC. Yeah, yeah.
1: Actually, the, that's that's also what I was uh,
5: I, I was meaning to say is that they did. Did they do two half-hour specials? Yeah, they did the Halloween one and the oh, Toy right. Story: that Time Forgot. Yes, too.
1: which is a great one. I love that one.
5: Lots of yeah. lots of good uh, stuff. So, so there's there's room there.
1: All right, I'm going to wrap it up. I want to thank my guests for being here talking about Toy Story Three. What Pixar movie will we cover next? I don't honestly know. Uh, we'll f- deal with that in 2017, I think. But I want to h- thank my my guests for for wrapping up the Toy Story franchise. Or we'll wait until Toy Story 4 comes out, but
4: probably not. Merlin Mann, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for your patience with us tonight. It's a delight to be here.
1: David Lohr, thank you for being here in, uh, let's say,
5: heaven. How about that? Heaven. It's, well, it's not a doll museum, and for that I'm grateful. <laughs> Steve Lutz, thank you. So long, partner.
1: Tiffany Arment thanks for being here
0: thanks we have a play date with Destiny Mm -hmm. and John Syracuse thank you
1: you know looking forward
3: to uh, Toy Story 4 I think we should all take to heart the important thing that we learned about the toys in this movie which is they live they die they live again
1: (laughs) (laughs) witness me so until uh, until next time I have been your host Jason Snell quiet musical hog we'll see you next week